What's up and welcome back to Bar Down Talking Hockey episode number 110 presented by the Bar Room Network. My name is Vinny Parisi and I am a certified G and a bona fide stud and you can't teach that. And this right here, this is Frankie Mueller and he's seven foot tall and you can't teach that. Frank, how you doing? Do you believe we're in May already? can't freaking believe we're in may already bro i, I remember a winter classic hanging out eating those white castle flavored freaking pizza puffs together like it just goes by so fast this little thing we call life unbelievable what's up travis what's going on travis how's it going how you doing frank doing good it's uh it's very nice outside tomorrow's when it really starts to kick up to the kind of the gross weather because I don't, I don't like it super hot I, I like shorts and a t-shirt but i like to i like that breeze that you get from it i don't want to be sitting in a canoe while i'm uh just sweating away i agree i agree and we are 32 days away um, from our big speaking of 32 days tommy yeah. boy i never forgets how many days no he never forgets how many days 32 days away from our vacation um, to Door County, Wisconsin. Very much looking forward to that. In addition to all the other okay. great things that we're doing uh, this summer, I'm very much looking forward to it. But um, I do have to ask you: when we get into round or period number one here, are you going to apologize, or are you going to like beat around this little like little freaking excuse train? You know, I'm just curious where your mind's at on some of these things. Because I was wrong. I was wrong about one big series that I was wrong about. I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna apologize. Oh, he's gonna apologize. Frank, really quick though, I want to touch back on the weather thing really quick. My favorite seasons go in order, starting in fall. But I do and so that means summer's last, four out of four. But I also I think the six or seven best days of summer are better than the six or seven best days of any other season. You know, you know what I mean? Like the bags tournament, 4th of July, door County, like those are better than Christmas uh, leading up, you know, my birthday. I I, like, I feel like we have more fun together in those situations. So, Oh, it's actually 33 days. That means I was led astray by Mr. Frankie Mueller but um according to G it's 32 so we're going to have to have a father daughter fight 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 I don't, well we leave what may 5th no may 5th that's in 2 days or june 5th <laughs> i mean you know what i freaking mean dude we leave the monday the monday that's the 5th there's 32 days 16 hours 
52 minutes and 45 seconds. Okay, that's 33 days, yo. <laughs> it's like 32 and a third. It's 33. It's you 30. count the day you're in. You, they, you, we still got to finish today, bro. <laughs> to me, today's already over. Oh, I'm, today's I'm, not over. We got a great show me. ahead of us. Today's not over, dude. I used to apply that. I used to apply your way of thinking back when I worked at Panera. The day was over right when I woke up. That's how I viewed that. But now that, you know, I don't have to well, deal yeah, with that misery Christmas, business anymore. If Christmas is tomorrow, I don't say one more day. I say it's, it, there's like, it's tomorrow. What do you mean you don't say there's one, it's one I day? I don't. Away. I don't say there's one more day. But there like, is. There's hours. I don't count hours as a day. Well, you don't walk around going half a day till Christmas, Especially three quarters of a day you know, till Christmas. We're, we're 16 days until there's 32 full days left. Or 16, 16 hours, hours until there's 32 full days left. But for how many of those hours am I going to be sleeping? So I don't, I mean, it's like, it's not a full day. That's fair. That You know what? That's a fair argument. See, now, if you have like a scale on the argument, you put a rock on your side with that <laughs> little pitch. I think there are ways that I put a rock on my on the other side. It's not even my side. I actually don't even really care. I have a playoff beard. I look like an idiot. Like for another thing, for example, I want to add another rock to my side is that when they do the countdown at their house, they change the 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 number than the day they wake up. They don't do it at the end of the day. They do it when they wake up. They put yeah. the new number. But this morning he changed it to 33, not 32. I don't know. I want to know. Tell me what number is on that board right now. The 33 is on that board right now. I swear there was 33 yesterday when I was there, but I could be wrong. We'll see. We will see. Frank, let's get into the nitty gritty. The nitty of the gritty. Gritty, gritty. Gritty's team isn't in the playoffs. Period number one. Welcome to period one, where we are going to recap what went down in the first round of the 2023 Stanley Cup playoffs. We are going to start with a former co-host of the show's favorite team who had the greatest regular season in the history of the sport. 135 points. 33 is on the board. Fair. Um, they had the greatest regular season ever. They were outstanding in every facet of the game. They defended well. They have two Norris Trophy guys. Two guys will finish top five in Norris Trophy voting. Um, they have Pasternak who scored sixty goals. Marshan and Bergeron are some of the great two-way forwards we've ever seen. Um. You know, their goaltending, Linus Allmark, is going to win the Vezina Trophy. Uh, him and Swayman combined to win the um, the trophy that goes to the team with, who gives up the least amount of goals, the Jennings Trophy. Um, you know, sometimes they have all these trophies with all these names. I, I have brain farts every now and then. But the Jennings Trophy, I mean, they were just unstoppable. What did they lose, 12 times? Mm -hmm. I mean, we've almost recorded as many shows since our 100th episode as the Bruins had losses last year. And that is just unbelievable to me. And they come into this series against the Florida Panthers. And they go out to a 3-1 lead without Bergeron. Mm -hmm. Bergeron comes back in the lineup. You're like, ha, the Bruins got this series in the bag. The Bruins are back. Bergeron's back. And then they lose three straight. Two of them in overtime. 
All of them won goal games to those pesky Florida Panthers. What is your main takeaway? You know, there was a lot of things. There were things that I were right about, and there were a lot of things I were wrong about in the first round of the playoffs. And one of the things that I was right about is that the Panthers were to give the Bruins a lot of trouble. Did I see them winning this series? No. But if there was a team to do it, it was the team that was one of only two teams to beat them twice this year. And I told you that the Panthers played them well. They played them well in the regular season. They beat them twice. They're a team that give the Bruins fits. And I still wholeheartedly believe if the Bruins were to play the Islanders, the Bruins would have won that series against the Islanders. I just, for some reason, the Panthers don't match well with the Bruins. They play them hard. You know, I mean, I like the changes that the different line changes that were made for the Panthers. Um, I mean, Montour was great. He's having like a historic season right now. Um, he's like tied for third all time, I think for defenseman goals through the first eight games, but just focusing on this series, because I'll mention that later when we, we do their second round of series, it's just, it's unbelievable. Truly like one of the best teams, if not the best team in NHL history was up three to one and the Bruins had their fair chances of winning. They were up twice in the third period in game six. They were winning with a minute to go in game seven. They had their chances, and they couldn't get it done. Why? Because the Florida Panthers are a pesky team. They got pesky players. And you know what we say when it goes to overtime, especially in a game seven. Anything could happen, and it did. And the Bruins were on the wrong side of the the ice that night. I'd like to put this into perspective for some people. I agree with you. I do think the Bruins would have beaten the Islanders. I think they would have smoked the Penguins. But they ended up against the Florida Panthers. Let's look back in recent memory here. Last year, the Florida Panthers won the President's Trophy, and they got beat by the Tampa Bay Lightning, who ended up going to the Stanley Cup Final, three straight finals, one of the best runs in NHL history. Okay, then what do they do this offseason? They make the biggest trade of our lifetime. Yes, I mean that. That is the only time in our lifetime that two players who were coming off 100-point seasons were traded for one another. That is the biggest blockbuster in our lifetime. I think the last time even a 100-point scorer was traded in the same year, that had to be Jumbo in like 05 or something. Joe Thornton, when he was traded from the Bruins to the Sharks. And, you know, just a magnificent trade for Florida. Well, then why didn't Florida do so well all season? Well, they did have 92 points. They struggled early. They came on late. And they were probably more of what they are at the end of the season than the beginning of the season. You know, things change from November to March. And they got good goaltending from Lyon down the stretch. Bobrovsky now is part of two of the greatest upsets in NHL history. He was the goaltender for Columbus when they swept Tampa Bay in 2019. And he was the goaltender of Florida when they swept the Bruins in 2023. I mean, just magnificent stuff there from Bobrovsky. The Florida Panthers, they deserve respect. They came in as the eight seed, but they're kind of the most lethal eight seed I can recall probably since the Kings in 2012. But the Kings went on a surprise run. They didn't make the playoffs the year prior. Panthers were the president's trophy winners. You know, it was kind of a joke that they were an eight seed. They probably should have been higher, you know, if they would have played the whole season just a tad bit more consistently. And that freaking guy, Matthew Kachuk, 
<laughs> he, I think me and you align on this. He'll be second in MVP, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Uh, Joey and our pal Dylan seem to think he comes in third. I, I, I honestly can't fathom that. Um, it'll be really funny if Poss is not even nominated. I think he will be. But, like, if they throw it to, like, Tage Thompson or Jack Hughes, who will probably be top five, top six, it'd be really funny if I won the bet before it even really was announced. But um, their dad, Walt, he watches his boys a lot. Um, Keith Kachuk, they call him Walt. Um, he... He went on the radio. I think it was TSN or Sportsnet, mm-hmm. one of those big guns in Canada that I listen to frequently through YouTube. Um, he goes on the radio and he's like, I watch my son, Brady Kachuk, and that team. They're not as talented as my other kids' team, but boy, do they work their balls off. You know, he sounded like a man. Oh, they mm-hmm. work their all that's a hard working, hard nosed team. And the Florida Panthers are a bunch of sissies. Well, then Florida wins like seven in a row from there. Matthew's kind of annoyed that his dad goes on the radio. Matthew, you shut up. Your dad saved your season. Um, The Florida Panthers are not a joke. Verhage had 40 goals this year. Kachuk will be top three in MVP voting. Uh, Bobrovsky's an $11 million goalie. Lyon played well as the backup. Um you know, they have guys like Ekblad, who was a number one overall pick. And ever since they added Montour and Montour kind of like grew into this great role, Ekblad stopped focusing so much on offense and he rounded out his game just a tad bit more. And now Ekblad is like a legit number one on a, a really, really good playoff worthy team. You know, Ekblad's outstanding. He's probably like, you know, there are probably people that Ekblad, he was the number one pick. Like what a joke that was for what a wrong. He's outstanding. And this Radko Gudis. Philadelphia Flyers fans got to be kicking themselves in the face because he was with them and they hated him and he was a traffic cone and this and that. And then he goes to Dallas and has some success there. Well, now he's on Florida and he made the game winning save on Bergeron. You know, the Bruins would have won the game if Radko Gudis wasn't in the right place at the right time. I thought he defended so well in the series and Florida man, Paul Maurice, four and in game sevens in his coaching career. Now just outstanding work from him. Lots of great times with the Winnipeg Jets. I, I used to compare Jeremy Colleton to Paul Maurice. I know Blackhawks fans don't want to hear that because Jeremy Colleton was a complete bozo with the Chicago Blackhawks, but he was hired really young, just like Maurice. Maurice struggled just like Colleton did. So all I'm saying is don't be shocked if in like 15 years, Colleton is like 50 and he's a really good NHL coach doing great things. I I, I would not shock me at all. And, it, you know, Paul Maurice was the same thing. There are people from 15 years ago who hated his guts and thought he was a bozo. That's what happens when you get hired real young sometimes. So, you know, we'll see what happens with that. But I just think I think Florida's the real deal. The Bruins, they got beat, man. It's a tough, that's a tough loss. It's a tough loss. It is a tough loss. Mark President Trophy curse once again. Yep. 2013 Blackhawks stand atop still. They do. And you know what? Listen, I love that 2013 Blackhawks. I hope they win the lottery on Monday. You know how I feel about the Blackhawks. They're one of the teams I cheer for. Like when they're not playing the Devils, I cheer for them. They did that in a short season. And nobody is going to tell me that that doesn't matter. Not a soul is going to tell me that it doesn't matter. I'm not saying they don't deserve the credit. I'm not saying they shouldn't be named when naming the last President's Trophy winner to win the cup. But that extra, like 50 games. That could wear anyone down. They 
they got Marion Hosa healthy the whole season. If there was no lockout in 2012-13, Hosa would have missed the first half of the season because of the Rafi Torres hit from a year prior. He was projected to be out um, five to six months from the surgery. He comes back. The season doesn't start till January. He was a question to play in game one. And he played, and he was outstanding. And the Hawks went on to win the President's Trophy. You don't know if they win the – they could still win the Cup hey, had there been no lockout. They did, they did what happened. What happened in the – it's like uh, Tampa winning in the bubble, right? Yeah, no. And listen, they get full credit. I'm not taking any credit away. All I'm saying, it, it, it speaks to how hard it is to win both, that the Blackhawks needed a short season to do it. And who was the last to do it before then? I mean, it was probably, I think, I think Detroit in 08 – the Datsuk, Zetterberg, uh, Jimmy Howard years. I Those, figure. I think they won the President's Trophy in 07, 08, and then won the Stanley Cup. I'm like 90% sure that's the last full season team to do it. And the Blackhawks, though, they get their credit. Sharp was outstanding. You know, Kane, Taves, it was a great team. Um, and they went through their adversity in the playoffs, too. There's no doubt about it. They were down 3-1 to Detroit. Um, things weren't you know, necessarily easy for them against the Bruins. They were almost about to go to game seven until Boland and Bickle put the team on their back. Um, man, I, I just don't know what to think of the Bruins going forward. Bergeron, he, he was talk like thinking retirement, it looked like. Like the way they were crying and he stayed on the ice for hugs and whatnot. It was the Red Wings. It was the Red Wings. VP with the brain. Um the Bruins centennial season is next year and it's hard to see someone other than Bergeron wear the C for that team during their centennial season. I, I think he's gone. The, you the, think he's the, gone. Yeah. The, the, the way they got emotional at the end of the game made it look like the players know something that the fans don't. That's possible. And they were like, well, teary eyed at the end. And like, yeah, you know he's coming back. Like if you hear rumbles, like Bergeron's like, yeah, I think I'm probably going to stay. And they know that they're not going to be crying at the end of the season. They know something we don't, I think. Yeah, it's possible. But, I mean, they still have McAvoy. They have Pasternak. I mean, that's a dynamic duo. Lindholm, Lindholm, man, I don't know if I've ever seen a player be so good in the regular season and then suck so bad in the playoffs. Like, not even just, like, not perform. Straight up suck. Mm -hmm. He was awful. And he fallen all over the place and not being able to make his passes and turning the puck over. It's almost like if they played Grizzlick instead of Lindholm, which would never happen. But they like you could say they should have. I, I've never. It looked like I was in Lindholm's gear, and it was just kind of hard to watch. Like I hope I hope he's okay. Like I'm sure there's some kind of nagging injury that causes players. And I, Jim Montgomery, will be coach of the year. I wish the playoffs would allow that to be stripped. I wish the playoffs were factored into coach of the year, because I think Jim Montgomery got outcoached by Paul Maurice in every facet of the game. You're telling me all Mark was this injured? He has a devastating injury that might cause him to miss some of next year. Then why was he playing in game six? Why was he in game five? He clearly wasn't right from the moment he turned that puck over that allowed Kachuk to have the OTGWG. Uh, Swayman should have probably been playing from game five on. I, I, I cannot believe they did that. I can't believe Grizzlick was the player who was the healthy scratch out of all their defensemen. He I mean, to switch it, things up once in a while. Yeah, they but they, they did it. The Devils. They didn't do it. No, I and, know that's what I'm saying. They should have. And yeah, they, and yeah. I, Paul Maurice was the better coach in the series. He's probably I, been the best I, coach I in the love, playoffs. 
I loved what he did. He mixed up the lines. He put Kachuk on the line with Bennett and uh, was it Cousins? That yep. line has been hot. So it's just, I love what he did. I mean, he he was the true definition of what you're supposed to do in a seven-game series. When something's broke, you fix it. Absolutely. And it was for the Bruins. They just, they didn't do anything to change. And then like on a, just a heave at the end in game seven, they put in Swayman, but you need to make those changes beforehand. I completely agree with you. Yeah. Especially like if Allmark wasn't hurt, like there's no way they didn't know just because he's like the Vezina winner doesn't mean, and I'm not shitting on Allmark. I refuse because he's clearly wasn't himself. He deserves to win the Vezina trophy. He will. But I, I just couldn't believe what I was seeing. And, you know, the Bruins are out. They're done. So see you next year, Bruins. Panthers move on. Next series, we're going to talk about the Minnesota Wild and the Dallas Stars. Shout out Blackout Dallas. Shout out G. Outstanding coverage over there at the great fan-sided uh, Dallas Stars page. I read all the predictions. Um, I read G's predictions about the Stars um, for the second round. We'll get into that in a little bit. But, you know, shout out Blackout Dallas. I am a big fan of the site. So I love all the fan-sided sites for uh, – for what they got going on with hockey. Uh, I wrote my previews for round two for the new series I'm covering. I don't know if you saw which one I'm covering. We'll get to that in a second too. Yeah, I saw. <laughs> but um, yeah, the Dallas Stars, man, they go down two to one in the series. The Minnesota Wild looked better in the first couple games. Again, dumb coaching from Dean Evison. Couldn't believe he went to Marc-Andre Fleury in game two after Gustafson stood yeah, on his yeah. head in game two. The Wild could have won the series. They're probably, uh, they're not the better team on paper, but they had the better mojo going early. And that does matter in the playoffs. We've seen a couple teams now with better rosters get eliminated. You know, that's not always how it works. Me and you have been, me and you are sitting in our own shit right now, smelling the stench of our bad predictions because of how crazy the playoffs are. <laughs> and, you know, the Wild could have easily won that series. And Dallas, they prevailed. They won the series without Joe Pavelski from game two on too. So, you know, just great stuff from the Stars. What did you like from them? Well, they killed the momentum, or the Wild killed the momentum of Gustafson. That's ultimately, I think, we lost the series here. But the Dallas Stars did a great job of taking advantage of the Wild's injuries that were there. Went on their penalty kill. Their penalty kill was horrendous. The Dallas Stars had nine power play goals, but they took advantage of Joel Erickson out and a couple other guys that were out that really hurt their uh, penalty kill too. So you, you take advantage what the other team throws your way, and that's exactly what they did. Rupe Hintz, 12 points. He leads the playoffs right now. He's been phenomenal. Um, Ottinger, they, he only got better as the series went on. The whole team got better as the series went on. From the third period of game four to the end of the series in game six, he only gave up one goal. I mean, Ottinger seems to thrive on momentum like a lot of teams do, but more than more often than not him as well. And you, you saw last year's playoffs, how he stand on his head. Cause like when you're in the groove, you're in the groove. So he was in the groove from really from the start. I mean, they had that heartbreaker and over a double overtime of game one. And, you know, they rebounded big time. And I thought it was interesting that the team that scored first in the series won every game. So whoever scored first won every game. Dallas scored first in games four, five, and six, and the Wild had to play behind. And the Wild were missing some key pieces. So when you got to play behind like that, a faster-paced style of game favors Dallas. So I'm not surprised that Dallas won the series. I had them winning in seven, went six. But they took advantage of all the disadvantages that the Wild had. So they, they did everything they needed to. They did everything right. 
Absolutely. I think the Stars are right there. They're one of the top three deepest teams in the Western Conference. When Rupe Hints and Jason Robertson are, aren't doing their thing, you know, certain other veterans come to the table. We'll get to one of them in round two when we talk about that. I'm just absolutely unbelievable. They have Tyler Sagan. They have Jamie Ben. They have Joe Pavelski. Um, Ryan Suter's on the back end. When it comes to the young guys, Miro Heiskanen is joined right there at the top of the lineup. So, you know, and Ottinger, Ottinger might be a top three goalie in the NHL now. I, I really don't think there's much arguing it. I think if Team USA has the World Cup of Hockey next year or the Olympics in two years, whatever it is, Ottinger will be the starting netminder for our Team USA. So, you know, and we saw him get drafted. And I get pissed off every single time I think about how the Blackhawks let him get away. Um, they traded the pick to Dallas that they selected Ottinger with, and it just absolutely disgusting. Um, but, I mean, the Stars are damn good. So I, I think they're going to – you know, make some noise here in the playoffs. Um, they already have. It, their second round series is certainly going to be a long one, I think. And for the Wild, Parisi and Suter hit their cap hit one more year next year. And I think they'll probably be right around the same kind of team, just a really good regular season team, third in the division, second in the division, whatever it may be, maybe a wild card, depending on how the rest of the division rises up. But um, then the following year, though, I think they could become like cup good. Because Kaprizov will be like in his true prime. They'll have extra money. They won't have to let, they'll, they'll replace Fiala, who was a big missing piece for them this season. Um, they'll be able to spend some money once those contracts of Parisi and Suter are mm -hmm. off their books. And they have a top three farm system. I would rank them number two. The Athletic ranked them one. I would rank them two. But they have an outstanding farm system. And, and once they're able to bring up some of their keeps developing some of those guys, more years of Matt Boldy, more years of Eric Sinek, those guys are just going to keep getting better. Um, Zuccarello, good veteran. I know they got some others. Um, I think the future is bright for the wild, but they got one more year of turbulence and that's next year. So we'll see how they do. Um, Frank, Los Angeles Kings, Edmonton Oilers. The Edmonton Oilers won the series in six games thanks to the great play of a bunch of different people. The Los Angeles Kings were the worst matchup for the Oil, I think, in my opinion. I think they were the team that was going to give them the hardest time of any team in the West. I don't think it's any secret that I think they will come out of the West. They're who I picked in the beginning of the playoffs in my bracket, and they're the team I'm going to stick with. But um, the Kings were their hardest test, and I believed if they could get past the Kings, they could get past anybody. But, I mean, it was a little bit – it was tough to know, and – Kopitar, they defend, they don't contain the dry sidle McDavid one-two punch, or they don't stop it, but they contain it. They keep it from getting to disgusting heights that some other teams allow. Um, I think their next couple opponents are probably going to struggle with it a little bit more with the Kings just because they don't have, well, their next opponent does have one forward who can make an impact. We'll get to that. But, you know, against the Kings, decent goaltending, thought their defense played well. But the oil, their top high-end skill prevailed, even though Nugent Hopkins really was kind of invisible in this series. And that's how you win Stanley Cups, though. Guys go invisible for this series, but they're the stars of the next series. But the guys who were the stars of the previous series go invisible this series. You know, we saw it with Kane. How many series were people worried about Kane? And then the following series, you'd have five goals. Like, that's how the playoffs work. That's why depth is important. The oil took care of round number one. What's your take? Yeah, I mean, this series was very based on special teams. Um, and, you know, no lead was safe in this series. It was a very fun series. No matter who had the lead, it didn't matter. didn't matter. Kings fought hard. Oilers fought hard. When each team was down, they made it interesting. It was a very interesting season. And I think 
if you're a Kings fan, you're a little disappointed because compared to last year, on paper, your team was better than last year's team coming into it. So I think you had a little bit more expectations. But on the other hand, so were the Oilers. The Oilers were a little bit better on paper this year as well. So you get bounced by the same team that bounced you last year. It's always it's a tough school to pass, a tough sw- pill to swallow. You know, I remember in the days where the Hawks were playing the Canucks, and you know, it, we we've had all those battles, and it seems like Kings and Oilers are going to have battles for years to come as well. So. As a Kings fan, if you're a Kings fan, keep your head high. You have no shame in the series. Your pe- your penalty kill was horrendous as well, though. Another team who really struggled on the PK. I know the Oilers had a historic power play, but when you when your penalty kills down to 43.8%, there's no excuse. I, I can't even say, yeah, it's because of how good the Oilers' power play is. I don't care how good that power play is. You, that's, like, really bad. You can't let it get to 43% on the penalty kill. You even get it up to mid-60s, and, I mean, this series could take a turn. I mean, it went six games, and the Kings were in the uh, lead for a few of the games. What was it, game four? They're up 3-0. That's the game that really got away, that really screwed them in this series. Um, But you look, like I said, it's not just the penalty kill. It was special teams as a whole, though, because of how good the Oilers' power play was, how good the Kings' power play was. Kings power play, they went seven for 21. That's 33%. That's fantastic. So, I mean, that's what made this series so exciting. Unfortunately, the Oilers just have too many weapons, and uh, Corpus Allo just couldn't shut them down. And I said that last week, that this team isn't really built to shut down the offensive power that the Oilers bring to the table, and they didn't, and the Oilers win in six games. 100%. You just basically – I don't know if you saw my article I wrote before the series started about special teams. Um, the series was zero zero. They hadn't played yet. Um, the Oilers had the greatest regular season power play of all time. Like statistically, it was the greatest percentage in the history of the league. The Kings were fifth though. They were fifth they had one of the best power plays in the NHL this season. And both of them have very mediocre penalty kills. So I expected a lot of power play goals in the series. We got them. Um, the Oilers were just a tad bit too strong. I do think the percentages make it seem a tad bit worse than they are in a playoff series. Because if you go one for two on the power play in the whole series, you're at 50%, and that seems like crazy. You know, I think the percentages over 82 games are a little bit more. But, like, being 40%. I mean, they had their fair chances. I mean, they they let in nine goals off 16 power plays. That's Yeah. I mean, that's bad. I don't that's horrible. That's horrible. I mean, it doesn't. The numbers don't make it look bad. It just is bad. I mean, 16. There was a team we're going to talk about who had who killed a lot of penalties as well, more than that. So, I mean, it's. You know yeah, no, I the only the the team that you're the team you're referring to the team they played against had only the only worse special teams unit than the oil than the Kings penalty kill. So, you know, it, it was it was definitely a bad showing for them. Uh, I think both teams penalty kill struggled, but the Oilers were just a tad bit not a tad bit. They were way better. And, you know, you look at some of the weaponry they have, McDavid, Dreisaitl, Zach Hyman, Nugent Hopkins, Evander Kane. Yeah. Absolutely. When you turn your the puck over in your own zone, and you got guys like McDavid, Drysaddle, Nugget, all peppering off a turnover. I mean, when you play with fire, you're going to get burned, and that's what happens. So, hundred percent. And you touched on the fact that they're probably going to play each other a bunch in the coming years. I do. I I completely agree. It wouldn't shock me. It wouldn't shock me if the Kings and the Oil play each other in six of the next eight years. Like the only way, if one wins the division. And then the other gets bounced in the first round by the Golden Knights, or it's like those three teams are going to, 
you know, kind of run things for a while. I think if, you know, Bedard, there's like a 50% chance Bedard goes to the Pacific Division. So that could change things too um, with the Sharks and the Ducks having such good odds to land him. But um, I don't know. I, I'm very excited about the Pacific Division. I like how, how, how the Kings are. They're, they kind of remind me of the Wild. You know, still building, still in the early stages. They don't have the cap hits of a Parisi and a Suter kind of hindering them as much. But a top 10 farm system. Um, I thought Byfield was invisible at times in the series. And then there were times where he was like kind of noticeable. And, you know, if I'm a Kings fan, I'm just thanking my lucky stars that he's not Alexis Lafreniere. So, you know, we'll see what happens with the Kings. Oil move on. The most stunning series in the playoffs, in my opinion, though. It's not the Bruins and the Panthers. Again, the Panthers won the President's Trophy last year. They have Kachuk. They have Verhage. They have Montour. The most surprising series in these playoffs was the fact that the defending champions are now defending no more as they lost the series in seven games to the expansion Seattle Kraken. In year two of their existence, they roll into the playoffs for the first time ever, and they take down the Stanley Cup champions that are led by some absolute dogs in the Nate Dog, um, Kale McCarr, Miko Rantanen. Um, just an outstanding series for the crackheads. What's your take? Well, slow starts in this series killed the Colorado Avalanche. In seven games, they were not able to jump out to the first goal of the game which I believe is an NHL record. I believe Seattle's the first team in seven-game series to score every goal first in the series. And when you play behind, no matter how good your team is, no matter how hot you were coming in the playoffs, it's going to be hard to win some of those games. You score maybe once first in one of those games, it's a different story. You're playing from ahead. But it just seemed too many times the Kraken jumped out to a lead. Colorado would have to fight back and you know try to overcome a two-goal deficit. And then by that time, you're burning all your energy in the series, and then the Kraken win. And we kind of saw that in the Dallas game yesterday. We'll touch on that in period two. But, I mean, it just – they had a very slow start in every single game. And I know last year when they were on this mad, magnificent run, they were, they were used to playing from behind. It's like, oh, Colorado's down three goals. They could win this game. But it just – it's hard to do that consistently for over a year, for one season, two seasons. It, it's just, it, it's not how sports work. And sports tell a story. And Philip Grubauer, who was on the championship team when the Colorado Avalanche won the Stanley Cup last year, it, shouldn't we have known, like, if there's a goalie that knows Colorado the best, it is Philip Grubauer? And he was the story of Game 7. He was outstanding in Game 7. Um it, it, like, doesn't it just make sense that Seattle won the series? Because I, I said Colorado in six, and you said, oh, I, I wouldn't be surprised if they won in four. You were surprised that I said it going six. But it's just, it just seems like sports always tell a story, and we should have seen this coming. We should have. I gave the Kraken no chance, and I was dead-ass wrong. I mean, I'm, we gave I them no it. chance all year. Yeah, and we did, and they're deep. They, they're they're very deep. You know what someone pointed out though? I think it might have been who did the game yesterday? Was it Ed? No, it wasn't Ed. It was on ESPN, wasn't it? It was on I can't remember who did the game. Um they're the only team in the playoffs with only one kid or less. Map in years is the only like young player on the team. Everybody else is a veteran coming off the expansion draft or signing with the team in the offseason, making trades, whatnot. Um 
you know, that could be good or bad, but so far it's been good. I've loved what I've seen from guys like Bjorkstrand, who used to make my life hell against the Devils when he was playing with Columbus. Mm-hmm. Just always found ways to play well against the Devils. Um, but, you know, Yanni Gord, Tampa Bay Lightning Stanley Cup champion, like learned how to win there. Grubauer played with Colorado yeah. through some good times. Um, he didn't win. Yeah. About. And so the Kraken, they got it done. Um, also, the Colorado Avalanche faced a lot of injuries this year. So I don't really feel we saw the true potential that Colorado had. I feel like they were hindered by a lot of their injuries. I completely agree. Gabriel Landeskog didn't play a single game. Valeri Nachuskin decided to spend his time with the wrong people during the playoffs, and that got him out for the rest of the series. Um, they did, and uh, kind of underrated. They didn't have Kadri, and Kadri was a huge piece to their puzzle last year. Having a good second line center, we've seen it so far in the Devil series. Having two centers that are elite. We've seen in the Maple Leaf series, two centers that are elite. I mean, their opponent, the Lightning, also did. Um, the Golden Knights have two top high-end centermen. Their second-line center is not as high-end offensively, but, I mean, you know, we think very highly of Chandler Stevenson and, of course, B- Wild Bill Carlson. Who, he's the one I'm saying isn't as high offensively, but, I mean, McDavid and Dreisaitl, um, Bergeron and Krejci during the regular season. Um, you know, we see what having that depth down the middle can do. It worked for, um, a bunch of other teams. The avalanche didn't have it quite as much this year. And I do think they'll be back next year. Landis Cog will probably be ready for opening day, but they'll see what they can do about adding a second line center. I think if they add a second line center, we'll see what happens with Nachuskin. If he's a problem, get him out of there. You know, the heat, uh, scoring wingers are easy to replace. In my opinion, it's probably the easiest thing to replace in the NHL besides like depth forwards. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they could go out and they could sign Patrick Kane for four mil. That'll solve the Nachuskin problem, I would think. Um, go out and look for a centerman that's available. You know, you saw what the Rangers did with Vinny Trocek. He was outstanding for them this season. It's not like a huge name, but it's a big enough name where you're like, that guy could be our second line center. The Avalanche need a guy like that behind the Nate Daug as their second liner. And, you know, we'll see what happens. But the Kraken move on. Great season for them. The next series, Frank, the Ginnipeg Wets. I thought the Jets played well in the early stages of the series. They won the first game to just absolutely shock everybody in Vegas. And then they had the game there where they came back from a four-goal deficit and tied it, and then they ended up losing in overtime. Um, I, I thought it was a crazy you know, start for the Jets, and then I don't think a team in the playoffs was worse in the second half of the series. They were the worst mm-hmm. team in the playoffs from game three on. No pushback, according to their coach. Um, the Golden Knights win the series relatively easy from there. What's your thoughts? It's the only series tend in five games or less. It yep. was, uh, it was, I very- believe this was the longest stretch or the, the longest it took for handshakes in NHL history. It was a, uh, was it really? I'm pretty sure. Wow. Because for like, it was like a scheduling thing. Like the one series that went to game five was still like far along into the playoffs. Yeah. Yeah. Um, interesting. No team was eliminated on our last show. I know. I'll see. And I thought for sure, I thought for sure there would have been at least one by our first, uh, show into the playoffs. You would think, right? Like the odds are there. I remember you asked me, you think there's going to be a game seven? And I said, yeah, we had three of them. Yeah. Well, there were six last year. I didn't realize that till I looked it up. Wow. In the first round. 
Yeah, in the first round there were six last year. Holy smokes! Yeah. But anyway, if speaking of injuries, I, the, the Winnipeg Jets were also very injury plagued as well. I mean, you talk about losing Morrissey, losing Shifley, no Nicholas Ellers, Ehlers, uh, Cole Perfetti, no. So it's like you got all these guys who are missing, and you, you think you're going to go and play the Vegas Golden Knights who won the division, and you think you're just going to just end up winning the series. It's just not going to happen. And then um, who was it? Stevenson, who jumped out and scored the first goal of game five, 50 seconds in. Well, now you're playing from behind. And if you want to win with all these guys that are injured, you got to jump ahead and play with a lead. And they couldn't do that, and it happened so quick, so fast. It almost – the first goal that Hellebuck let up, I thought he was like – he seemed lazy on the play to me. Like he didn't even want to be there. That's just the vibe I got. It was kind of like – he was kind of outplayed, and he was just didn't seem like he was moving around the ice as good. Like he just didn't want to be there. I, I, in my eyes, his the series was over for him, and he just didn't want to play. And that's a shame to see, really. But I mean, every, you got to give the Golden Knights credit. Everybody looked good. Eichel started off slow, but then he looked good, even though he wasn't this guy who's getting ten points like McDavid or Matthews or Rupe Hints or any of those guys. He still like looked good, and he was still a force on the ice for a variety of different reasons. And you know, credit to the Vegas Golden Knights. I, I, you, you know, they were dominant. They took care of business. They played who they needed to play, and at the end of the day, they won in five. So, congrats to them. I've never seen a team have their coach do what Bonus did after the series. Just go out and torch them to the media. Like normally you do that before game five or before game six, like once the season is over and there's nothing else you could do about it. I just thought it was a very, very odd move. It makes me wonder if he'll be back. Like, how do you come back to that? And Blake Wheeler comes out to the media and defends his teammates. You know, he got the C stripped from him this season. I I just I, the whole Winnipeg Jets thing stinks to me. And I can't believe that they fall off. They were competing for the central division right around when we did our 100th episode. And, you know, they ended up falling off so hard. And, you know, I just can't get behind calling out the players to the media after the series is over. We've seen it work before a series is over or before a regular season is over. I mean, shit, how many times has John Tortorella done that? Or how many times have we heard about a coach chewing out Paul Maurice, the Florida Panthers? You remember the video that went viral of him screaming at the bench and he had a freaking outrageous moment on the bench and people were freaking out having a heart attack over it you know he would never do that after the season was over though it those are things you say for exit interviews and breakup days and stuff like that like i just couldn't believe what i was hearing from him at that particular moment in time so the jets are dead they're gonna fly themselves all the way to the golf course probably somewhere far away from winnipeg if i had to guess just because why not spend your time in a warm climate rather than winnipeg in the summer but um yeah the Golden Knights, they move on. They're one of the best teams in the league. Jack Eichel, first time in the playoffs. I expected it to be a little bit bumpy for him when it first started, but, you know, he's fully in now. And I'm very excited for this upcoming matchup that they're about to participate in, which we will get to soon. New York Islanders, Carolina Hurricanes, not much to say. I was wrong. Um, I, I wanted to pick one upset in the first round. The Islanders made the most sense. They made it a hard series. Um, it was not easy for the Hurricanes who were the division winner and got to play the eight seed. And, you know, I thought it was probably harder for them than even they anticipated. The Islanders, they defend well, they forecheck well. I just think they're they're missing enough high-end, too much high-end skill 
to be able to compete with a team like the Hurricanes, who probably are equal to them in terms of high-end skill, especially without Svechnikov and Taravainen. Like, the best players on the Islanders, Matt Barzell, um, Anders Lee, um, you know, some of the top scorers, uh, Bo Horvat. Those guys, they're right on par with Sebastian Ajo and, you know, mm-hmm. Nietzsche and stuff like that. But I think the depth of the Hurricanes took care of business and the Islanders had the advantage in goalie. But the Hurricanes, they found a way. They get the win. Um, definitely a coaching advantage, I would say. Um, and they come out of the series. The Metropolitan Division champions move along. Yeah, you know, it seemed like except for game three, they had trouble scoring. There was just a lot of lack of scoring. It was a very defensive series overall. Um, I mean, and then in game six, you got the 1-0 lead, you know, heading into the third, about halfway through the third, you still got a 1-0 lead. You can't expect the shutout. You need that firepower to get you going. You want the insurance goals. I don't care how good of a season Sorokin had. Like you still have to back him up and give him, you know, a little bit of offense here and there. You just, you can't expect to shut out every game. And when I'm watching a game and a team goes up 1-0 in my head, I, I think of this all the time. I'm like, well, the other team's going to score. I'm never expecting a shutout, right? And you kind of had to expect that for the Carolina Hurricanes as well. Like, they were going to score eventually, and they did. And it doesn't happen all the time, but that's still the mindset. Of, like, if I was a coach, you have to have. You go out and press, and you get that insurance goal. But no, I mean, they didn't. They were 1-3 in three in one-goal games. Like I said, it was a very defensive series, but they don't, they don't have the firepower that the Carolina Hurricanes have. When I think of the New York Islanders, I think of Bo Horvat and uh, Barzell. And Barzell, there was nothing to shine from Barzell, really. I mean, if he was going to be the difference maker in the series or they were going to win, he would have to step up and do that and be that difference maker. But he didn't. Um, But I also have to give a nod to the Carolina Hurricanes goaltending. I think right now they, they have the best duo left. It was Swayman and Allmark. And now that they're gone, I think that Ranta and Anderson are the best duo left in this series or in the in the postseason. Um, so I mean, very defensive. Uh, there's really not not much else I could say right there. So I mean, exactly what the doctor ordered. I texted you, Canes and six. We move on. We move on. Carolina Hurricanes, one of the best teams in the NHL for the last five years. Brendan Moore became the first coach in NHL history to win a playoff series in each of his first five seasons as an NHL head coach. Credit to Rod the Bod. Um, We saw his son. You know, Rod the Bod was in the news for different reasons before the playoffs started. We saw his son take home the the championship with Quinnipiac. Mm -hmm. So that was really cool, seeing all these college hockey references. Um, yeah, that's it. All right, Frank. Now it's time. It's all right. It's time. I mean, I was was wrong. It was going to happen eventually. I mean, when you pick the same thing every single year, yeah, it was eventually going to happen. And I understood your logic. I was very worried you were going to end up being right. It got scary. I'll say it it got got scary. scary. It got scary. And, and the reason it got scary is for every reason that you picked the lightning. I don't believe for one second that you actually thought the Lightning were a better team this year. They, I like it was the demons of the Toronto. Maple I believe Leafs. in curses. I really do. Okay, I understand, and it's it's in the head. It's right here, and that's why I was head. worried. That's why I was worried. That's why you put money on them in Game Six. I don't even know that for a fact. I just do think so. Like I, I would bet money that you put money on Game Six and lost it. Um, 
I was worried. I thought the Lightning were going to win in overtime for sure. I was like, they're really going to let this shit go to seven and then probably lose. Uh, you know, I, I was falling off too. So even though all they did was lose game five, you know, like a normal team would lose game five and be like, all right, let's take it in game six. And there's that doubt again. <laughs> there's that shadow of doubt. But the Toronto Maple Leafs for the first time since 2004 have won a playoff series. Um, you know what wasn't invented? the last time the Maple Leafs won a playoff series, YouTube, where most people are probably wow. watching us right now. That wow. came out a year later in 2005. So, yeah. So, couldn't yeah. believe that when I realized, you know, all the things that have happened since the Maple Leafs have last won a playoff series. Austin Matthews was a child. Mitchell Marner was a child. William Nylander was a child. Morgan Riley was a child. John Tavares was a slightly older child. I mean, it was just unbelievable that they were finally able to pull this off. I do think, like, most teams win one playoff series every 10 years, you know? Like, <laughs> almost was, every team has a playoff drought. series win. It was the yeah. longest drought in the NHL. Yep. And now the longest drought belongs to the Buffalo Sabres, who haven't won a playoff series since 2011. So, you know, I, I and I think theirs is coming very, very soon, and it's not quite. 2004 so the pressure is not quite as and they haven't lost eight straight playoff series with 11 straight chances to win a series that were blown so yeah the maple leafs win it was it was uh it was crazy they lost all three home games in overtime which i didn't know this but the lightning yeah but i didn't i didn't know that they're they're like statistically bad in overtime even over like when they made it to the cup last year they're like not a very good overtime team in the playoffs and i didn't realize that and they lost all yeah. three at home in, in OT. And, you know, credit to Matthews, Riley, um, who else? Tavares, he stepped up in game six. Yep. Um, so Tavares, Strasburg. he ended a 20-plus year playoff drought or a 15-plus year playoff drought twice. <laughs> With the Islanders, his That's overtime funny. winner. Yeah. He, in overtime of game six twice. Tavares against the Panthers. For the Islanders, that broke like a 23-year playoff series drought. And then a couple nights ago against the Lightning, both against yeah. Florida teams. And, you know, Mitch Marner was kind of quiet in game six. He really didn't do anything. But, you know, Austin Matthews stepped up. He wanted it more than anyone, I feel like. And it just – it also seems like the Lightning were exhausted. I mean, they weren't playing well, like you said, in the season. Like, you you make three consecutive – uh, runs to the Stanley Cup final. That gets exhausting. You're playing more games than any other team in the NHL. So you blink uh, after the season and it's August. Yeah. So it's then like you gotta start ramping it up with your skating again on August. Consistently 1st. over and over again. That gets tiresome, right? So you just it was only a matter of time. It was only a matter of time. They broke the curse, which now I don't know who's got a curse. The president trophy curse is still a thing in my eyes. We'll see who can break that next. But the um, devils. It may be. It's very possible. You never know. Um, but yeah, it was a it was a fun series though. It was a fun series. And I like when we got our takes with each other on what we think's gonna happen. It makes it more fun. So I was wrong. I apologize, VP. I was wrong. Nothing to be sorry for. It's just a hockey. I mean, it almost like it adds a layer to the show. Like Frankie's the anti-Leafs guy. I'm the Leaf. The Leafs are the Yankees of the yeah, NHL. Yeah, but now it's did like you... it's, it's over, though. Like, it's over. So. Well, did you see that father and daughter? I think the father and daughter. I apologize if they're not father and daughter. But father and daughter who 
they go to every Maple Leafs playoff game in the opponent's jersey, and they sit in the row where the camera pans to every single. You, I, I'll show you. They they were at game one in Lightning jerseys. They've been here. I'll show to people watching at home. If you're listening to the audio version, you could go to like Spitting Chicklets or Sportsnet or Bleacher Report, Open Ice. Um, Twitter pages and find it for yourself if you're listening to the audio version. But there is this group of people that they go to the Leafs game no matter what, and they rock the opponent's jerseys. Um, here's them in Coyotes gear in two thousand or in the regular Where's season. The um, right here, here they are, and here they are in Lightning oh, stuff last okay. series, and then lo and behold, yesterday. They're back. They're back. Just absolute leaf hate. People let it flow through them. And because of my friend Steve Dangle, I haven't been able to let the leaf hate um, flow through me. But, but I, you know, I've always cheered them on when they're not playing the Devils or the Bruins. Um, but, yeah, we'll see what happens in the second round. Not a great start, but not a great start in series one. You know, nothing is over after game one. People who get on their all Heidi, mighty horse after one game – you know, that's just not the way it could be. There are plenty, you know, I, th I think both teams that lost yesterday end up winning the series, but, um, you know, we'll, we'll get to that, but the Maple Leafs, they move on. Kyle Dubas, his job is saved for another two weeks. Um, <laughs> yeah. Marner did nothing in game six, but like who did Matthew scored and Tavares scored like, you know, Matthew in a two Tavares and Riley, right? Yeah. Well, no, it was two to one in overtime. Wasn't it? Or was it three yeah, to two in overtime? A, but he had a point, I think. No, oh, two. yeah. Yeah. I'm yeah. Not, like, you know, contributing like on the score sheet. Yeah. In tight checking games like that, it's not about being point per game in the playoffs for me. It's about being freaking a winner. And the Maple Leafs are doing what they can. I mean, Marner, Marner doesn't get enough credit for how good defensively he is, although he was nominated for a big trophy yesterday. We'll get to that in a minute, too. But, you know, you know. I think the Maple Leafs, they have the recipe to win the Stanley Cup. It'll all just depend on goaltending and not getting too high off that first round win. You know, like they, they have a path to at least get to the you conference final. Here. To break now. No, no, not now. You, you've done it. And the Bruins are out. The Avalanche are out. The Lightning are out. Like, you know, there's really, there's a path for the Leafs. So we'll see what they're able to do. They have the highest odds of any team to win the Stanley Cup, at least before yesterday. I haven't looked since that debacle but you know the maple leafs win um the league's oldest joke is over right now so well they still haven't won since 1967 which is the longest drought of any team left that has a, that does have a cup the kraken golden knights and panthers don't have a cup the other 16 or the other five teams do um which reminds me this they did say this carolina they're the most recent team left to win a cup and it wasn't or they're the team left with the most recent cup and it was 06. So the Stanley Cup champion this year will be very right. very fresh feeling. Couldn't have been the Los Angeles Kings in 2012. They're dead. Oh, I they're thought you up. meant they were the most recent. No, the most recent was the Avalanche. <laughs> they won it last year. The most oh, yeah. recent the yeah. most recent I team you meant in general. No, the most recent team to win the Stanley Cup that's left is the gotcha. Carolina Hurricanes, and it was in 06. So, you know, I can't say that it's not – it's going to be a fresh Stanley Cup champion. It's going to feel different, and that's kind of exciting to me. 
So we got a new new little wave coming into the NHL here, and that yeah. brings us to the final series of the first round. It ended the first round in epic fashion. Probably one of the most exciting series from beginning to end in the entire playoffs. It culminates in Game 7 in Newark at the Rock. The New York Rangers against the New Jersey Devils. And the New Jersey Devils win the series 4-3. to three, And they win Game 7 by a final score of 4-0. to zero. They won Game 5 and Game 7 at home by a combined score of 8-0. to zero, Or 7-0. Was it 7-0 or 8-0? They didn't give up a goal. They didn't give up a goal. They won two straight four nothing games. You're right. And they got everything they needed from everyone. Timo Meyer, he didn't have a goal. He didn't have a point. But guess what? He led the team in chances. He led the team in shots. He led the team in hits. He was just an absolute monster out there. And it goes to what I'm saying, that points are in everything. He got in Chesterkin's head. He had him shooting pucks at him and trying to punch him in the face and, you know, screaming at him in between whistles. He was in his face. And now against Carolina, you hope that Timo Meyer maybe gets on the score sheet. That's how the playoffs work. Whoever wasn't in the first series, Hollow might go cold, but Meyer might get hot. That's how you win in the playoffs. That's how things work. And Nico Heischer, just an incredible two-way game, five assists in the seven games, including a game winner. Um, Jack Hughes was just a monster. And, you know, if it weren't for Igor Shesterkin, I do think he would be up there with the Rupe Hints and the McDavid's with the 10 points. He had six instead. You know, um, what's his name was just incredible. Igor Shesterkin, he was the only Ranger that did his job every single day, including game seven. Um, the Devils probably would have swept them had they not had Igor Shesterkin. I truly believe that he was a difference maker in this series. Um, and the Devils, they win game seven, and they're moving on to the second round for the first time since 2012. Somebody that I used to know by Gautier was the number one song on the billboard the last time the Devils won a playoff series. It was the game, it was the series against the Rangers in 2012. Frank, what's your takeaway? We were both right. It was going seven games, right? We knew it was going to go seven games. They overcome a 2-0 deficit, and, you know, it still worries me about their experience, but something that'll kind of, like, kind of proves my point right a little bit, but here, I'll just explain it, and then I'll explain what I'm trying to say. So, I we, we you know, we talked about it. I have said the Devils don't have experience, right? But in Game 7, Andre Palat, a man with plenty of experience, Stripped the puck from Fox, which led to the shorthanded goal, opened up the game. Mikey. Thomas, Thomas Tatar, playoff experience, a veteran, scored the second goal of the game. Eric Halla fed Jack Hughes for the third goal of the game. Eric Halla, playoff experience. Vice versa. Vice versa? Jack Hughes fed Eric Halla. Oh, really? I thought it was yeah. Jack Hughes. Well, there you go. Eric Halla scores the third goal of the game. Playoff experience. The, the goals that were coming for the Devils were all guys who are veterans who have playoff experience, which is great because that's what you need. You need experience in the playoffs. That's what I've always said, and it's true. And But what worries me is that I can't expect these guys to always do that every game. You got you need Jack Hughes. You need Nico Heischer. You need Jesper Brett. You need these guys to carry the weight of the series and have the veterans chip in, which we kind of saw a little bit. We kind of saw that a little bit. There was nothing wrong with Hughes, Heesher, Brett. You know, those are your guys. Those are your th the three-headed dragon right there. But um, I I also don't like the way that these the Rangers were coached in Gallant. Like, 
Why wasn't Patrick Kane playing with Panarin on the first power play unit? I'm watching this, and their power play unit is peppering. They're peppering Schmid, which, by the way, Schmid's the answer, like I said. I said that from the beginning of the series. He's the answer, and he is the answer, and I want to, I'll touch on that a little bit more in the, the next couple of minutes here, but you get Patrick Kane, and you're not playing him with Panarin on the first power play unit. They have chemistry together. That power play unit was so lethal. You had Tarasenko, Kreider, Zabinijad, Fox, and I'm missing somebody. Um, I'm missing somebody. Tarasenko. And ter- no, I thought I said that. Tarasenko. There was Tarasenko, Zabinijad, Fox, Panarin. Oh, and Kreider. Kreider. And those those were the five out there. And they were peppering. But why don't you have Kane out there? Because then they were peppering so much that by the time you could get Kane out, there's 25 seconds left on the power play. Here comes the second power play unit. Well, it's a waste. I mean, Gallant, he was coaching this team like a muffin. I would have taken. I didn't like it. I didn't like the way the Rangers were coached in the series. It was terrible. Mm. Nothing changed. Yeah, no, me either. I would have taken Panarin off. Sorry. Uh, like who who are you taking off for Kane? Kane's not the best player on the team anymore. No, you know, this is in 2015. But you put him with the guy who has chemistry. I would put him with Sabana Jad. But he has okay? no chemistry. I, it doesn't matter. Kane can make passes, but and Panarin was just awful. I don't he know. was awful. Panarin was so bad in the whole series. He had a couple points in the first two games. He, for the first time in his career, went five games without a point. Then you it put was, Panarin on the second line with Kane. But I think those two have to play with each other. That's that's fine. I, you, you need a disher for, I think, Zabanajad. Zabanajad has to be in the one-time position. We talked about this all season long. He's not a bumper guy. And Tarasenko had success on the power play in the bumper position. And Kreider had uh, production in the series as the net fronts. You know Fox is going to be the guy. So you have to choose between Kane or Panarin on the other wall. Well, you could use Vinny Trocek maybe. Or you can use, you know somebody else maybe if Lafreniere or Kako didn't suck they could use one of them but you know I, I thought I understood taking Kane off at first but then I'm thinking to myself why is Panarin out there he's been awful Zabanajad has to be fed they should treat the power play the same way the Bruins treat it you play 1-3-1 one, one with Fox uh, Zabanajad, Tarasenko name good player that can pass and then Kreider in front of the net. The Bruins Kreider's do it too. Be out there. Yeah, Kreider is probably the second most important. Goals. He's probably second most important only to Zabanajad. And I, I do don't think... agree not putting Panarin out there with Kane. Who do you take off? Tarasenko, mm-hmm. who had four power play goals in the series I, too. Yeah, I don't know. But then you move Panarin to the second line. Give start the second line pair to start. Nothing was working. He got shut out both times at home. I have a take that you and They're everybody. On the road. I have a take that you and everybody else that roots for the Blackhawks doesn't want to hear. Artemi Panarin and Patrick Kane no longer have outstanding chemistry. I, I disagree. They were not good together all season. Go, go, I bet you could count on your hand how many goals Kane or Panarin scored assisted by the other since he was traded to the Rangers. How they often just, did they play with each other? Well, they started with each other. Why did they get broken up? I mean, there's you something have nothing, there. You have nothing to lose, though. In the playoffs, I disagree. okay. So you so you could put Panarin with the second unit. Then they were not good together. Panarin was awful on his own. 
I thought Panarin was the Rangers' most disappointing player in the entire series. I mean, Patrick, the whole, Kane, the whole team was really awful at the end of the day. Yeah, except for ex- I, I. Besides I the first two hate... goal, or the first two games when you're you're shooting on Swiss cheese Vanacek the whole year. I mean, what do you expect or the whole game? Yeah, I'm I'm sorry. I Patrick Kane and Panarin, they're not. They it's been six years since they played together. All these people that think that they're just going to get to back together on the same line and be what they were in 2015 and 16 when they were 27 and when they were 27 and 24. I mean, Patrick Kane's 35 and Panarin's 31. Like, it's not the same thing anymore. You need Zabanajad's one-time shot. You need Kreider in front of the net. I don't know. I just how'd that work out? I mean, I no still goals. think. Yeah, I Twice. think none of this. I think none of this would matter at all either way because the Devils penalty kill figured something out in the last couple games of the series. They put pressure. They changed the way they killed penalties. They were a little bit more dynamic in terms of I, – I thought they were bad at clearing the puck in Game 7 on the power play. But when they did get it out and had it on their stick, they were a little more dynamic. They scored two shorthanded goals in their wins. Um, obviously the McLeod goal and then Mercer had one. So I do think the penalty kill got better as well, which could speak to some of the issues that the Rangers had, but I don't know. I, I just think you can't always just trade for stars and think that it's going to work. And Tarasenko and Kane were okay. Tarasenko and Kane were okay. Tarasenko was better in the series, I think, but uh, I don't know. I, I thought Kane was probably their best forward from the second half of the second period on but i also i didn't know how stinky kane stats were in game sevens five points and six game sevens no goals uh, the hawks hardly went to game seven they smoked everyone most of the time and you know things are tighter harder to score in game seven i'm not poopy pooping on kane for that but i mean i thought he'd have one goal but by the way i don't know i changed my mind to like Schmid's got to start against the Hurricanes. Like, remember, yeah. we said, well, we said it like any, it's a fresh start with the new series, but I, it is, my, but I changed my whole perspective on that. I disagree. He starts games. If you, the only way Vanacek comes back is if they drop the first two games, then you got, you could switch things up, but he's that, riding the series. He's riding this series. You're riding with him and you're riding and dying with Schmid, unless it goes like 2 0, then you switch things up. I agree. Yeah, but no, he starts. I think two things can be true. It's a fresh series. That means Vanacek can go in if there's an issue. You know, they they goes in if they lose. No, I don't either. They they lost game six. What do you mean? They lost game six. Injury gives up six on six soft shots. He's injured. I mean, who are you going to put in? Okay, but like gives up six on six soft shots. I think they probably move to Vanacek again and see what well, he can yeah, do. Yeah, of course. When it's early in the series, that that is kind of like a refresh on like your plan B. But your plan A should be to start Schmidt. I mean, he's got he's got two shutouts in his last three games. And you start Schmidt, and even if he lets up six and you put in Vanacek for the third period of the Hurricanes game, he, Schmidt, I still think Schmidt starts game two. I do. The only yeah. way I want to see Vanacek in the series is if they go down 2-0. Other than that, you, re- you put him on the bench. Thanks for what you did for us this year, Vanacek, but we're going with Schmidt. And I'll tell you what, in game six, the Devils dominated the first 10 minutes of the period. Then Patrick Kane got on a breakaway, and they called a soft-ass call 
you know, on the breakaway and they gave the Rangers a power play and Kreider scored and that killed all the devil's momentum. And they were playing from behind from there. If they're playing against somebody else and they keep playing like that, and it's not Igor Shesterkin in that. And I know Ranta and Anderson are good. They're not just Durkin. And if they beat him early in that game, they probably end up winning game six on the road. So, you know, I'm not even faulting Schmidt for that. The devil's they kind of fell apart after dominating the first couple minutes of the game. They actually dominated most of five on five play, but the Rangers kept scoring power play goals in game six. You know, I'm not sure what's going to happen with the penalty kill in games against the hurricanes. Their power play is not as lethal as the Rangers is, but I don't know, man. I, I think the devils, the way they play and their speed and their tenacity and their puck possession, it ended up being the difference against the Rangers. So absolutely. And I will say this. You call him Swiss cheese Vanacek. You can call him whatever you want. Well, he won. The Devils played like let's shit call, in the first two games. Let's call another spade a spade. The Devils played like shit in front That's of him fine. in the first two games. They were not as tenacious. They were shaky. It was clearly first-time playoff jitters. And then they go to Schmidt, and they settle things down. And things start becoming a little bit more easy because they take it easy with this guy in net a little bit. I do. It almost changed the forwards mindsets just as much as it did the actual production and goal. And now I think you ride that. If they had to go with Vanacek in a game, I would not even be slightly worried as long as the players in front of him play the way that they did. Think about when the Devils and the Rangers were playing in Game 7. Every single time, the Rangers would shoot the shot in from far, and the one of Ryan Graves, Siegenthaler, and Hamilton, they were there to get it, and they pushed it up the ice to the forwards. And if that happens in this series, which we'll get to that in a minute, but if that happens in this series against the Rangers and they don't have Igor Shesterkin, they're toast. They ha- But they have to play that one style of game to win, the Hurricanes play a very similar style, so it's going to be a very, very fun matchup, methinks. But the Devils, man, they got the playoff win. That's the first round. Let's break down round number two because we've been both trying so hard to avoid doing so in round in period number one. Let's do it in period number two. Welcome to period two where we will preview Everything, every winner we just mentioned, now they're playing against each other, starting with the two games that happened last night. The Panthers took a one nothing series lead over the Maple Leafs. Frank, what do you like? What are you looking for in this series? I think the Panthers are a very feisty team. We saw that with the Boston Bruins. I, I don't know what, I, what I'm necessarily looking forward to, but I just know that, what, like I said earlier in the show, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. That Kachuk line with Bennett and Cousins absolutely sizzling led to the first two goals of the game against Toronto. So you keep that line going. If you're the Panthers, put them out there. If you're the Leafs, can't take the Panthers lightly. I don't care how bad the Panthers were. They finished with, what, 80-something points, 90, what was it, 89, 91 points? Whatever the case may be, 92 points, you don't take them lightly. You, you play them as if you're playing like the Boston Bruins or the Devils or the Hurricanes. You play them like they had 110 points. I mean, that's how you got to take this team. You never take a team lightly. Um, you you had thought that the Panthers would have been exhausted going into this uh, game of the games they played against the Bruins. Seven games, had to battle back, tough third periods. You think now they got to travel to Canada? You think they're a little tired? No, they looked fantastic. Um, and I, I really do believe that the way I saw Bob play 
Like that's like Vezina, Columbus, Blue Jackets, Bobrovsky that we were seeing. Um, I I really believe if he could stay like that and, you know, Kachuk in this new line that he's found starts staying hot, I do believe that the Panthers could win this series. I really do believe that. Um, but like I said, if you're the Leafs and you're going to win the series, you just can't take your foot off the brake. I know you overcome one of the biggest, um, what do you, what do you say? Not a deficit. So like biggest, like, like mental blocks. Yeah. Like your biggest mental block, your biggest, I guess your biggest hurdle. You just overcome that. But like, now you got to put that in the back. You don't care about that. You don't think about that till the season's over. You got to. Continue, put your foot on the gas, and we'll see what happens, you know. And like I said earlier when we were talking about the Panthers, Montour, he has six goals through the first eight games. Only two defensemen in NHL history have more through the first eight games of a playoff series, and that's Bobby Orr and Paul Coffey. So he's, like, historically good right now. And if that stays hot, this Florida Panthers team is going to be a force to be reckoned with. I hate to tell you. Yeah, no, I agree, and, you know, I think the series, when I said something I'm excited for, Matthew Kachuk versus Austin Matthews. I mean, they were teammates in the World Juniors. They're probably going to be teammates. They're, they might even be line mates. I wouldn't make them line mates because I would put Jack Hughes with the two Kachuk brothers and call it the jackass line. But, um, you know, they're, they're longtime buddies and American friends, and I love seeing them match up. You know, Florida and Toronto playing in a playoff series. I mean, two completely different kinds of places. Um, you know, Sunrise, Florida versus Toronto, Ontario. It's just exciting, and I'm I'm happy that it's a playoff series. I'm very much looking forward to what's to come in the rest of it. I think the Panthers got their game one win, and I think that's it. <laughs> wow! I, I honestly think the Maple Leafs are going to roll four straight here and win the series in five. I picked them in five, and I picked them because I did it for primetime radio network and I gave all my predictions and those are the predictions I'm going to stick with here on this show. Um, I, yeah, no, you'll give your pick right after I'm done. I think the Maple Leafs are going to win this series in five. And I think that because they came off this high and winning the first round series, they they were always doomed in game one. It was always going to be like a, a trap game for them. But I do think what makes the Panthers strong is something that the Leafs can overcome. And the high, high end skill of the Maple Leafs, I think, is a little bit different than the high, high end skill of the Bruins. And I think playtime is over for the Leafs now. They got over that hump. They lost game one again. Um, it would not shock me one bit if they win the next four and take the series in five. But uh, obviously, it could go six or seven. You know, it's not it's not one of those where I'm like, it's going to happen. It's going to be a short series, and I'm so locked in on that. But I picked the Maple Leafs in five before it started for that reason, and I'm going to stick with it. I'm going to go six games to the Florida Panthers. I think okay. after beating the President Trophy, historic Boston Bruins, this team has looked good. Nobody gave him a chance against the Boston Bruins. Nobody's going to give him a chance against the Toronto Maple Leafs. But from what I've seen lately, if Bob could stay the way he's been playing and if Kachuk could just excel and propel this team, who is probably, like we said, going to finish second in Hart, uh, the Hart Trophy, I mean, I, I see no reason why the Panthers can't win this series. Plus, I just, I'm not choosing all chalk this series or in the second round. So um, if there's. I don't believe there is chalk. If there's an upset to be made here, 
I think the I think it's going to be the Florida Panthers in six games. So we shall I see. Think, I take that back. There's one chalk. There's one chalk, and it's probably going to be the only series we agree on. And that's the series we're going to talk about right now between the Dallas Stars and the Seattle Kraken. Maybe we won't agree on it, though. Um, the Dallas Stars, they're deeper. In my opinion, their high, high-end skill is otherworldly. I mean, Rupe Hintz and Jason Robertson might be one of the top 10 duos in the NHL. And I firmly believe that. Um, they get good goaltending from Ottinger. Um, Sagan and Ben are doing their thing, just kind of you know, being the solid veterans on the team. I, I thought Max Domi had a really good game yesterday as a depth player with them. Um, we're seeing their defense chip in. I don't know. And then you got the Seattle Kraken who are coming over this big upset win against the Colorado Avalanche, and they take game one to take a one nothing series lead. And Joe Pavelski had a monster game, four goals. He's the first player to have four goals in a series in a very in a single playoff game in a very long time. And he is the oldest player in NHL history to ever score four goals in a playoff game. He will turn 39 over the summer. So, you know, I, I like this series. I think it should be a lot of fun. I'll let you go first with some analysis, and then you can make your prediction on the series first. Well, Ottinger, one of his worst games he's played in the playoffs in his career so far. Didn't look good. Four first-period goals. The Kraken like to do this, though. They like to jump out to a lead, force the opposition to make a comeback by that time you're gassed and then they pick up the win in overtime saw it against Colorado now the Kraken lead Joe Pavelski 1-0 in the series um it would have been funny if the Dallas Stars would have won yesterday I was gonna be like oh Joe Pavelski leaves the series 1-0 against the Kraken (laughs) but so now I'm gonna say the Kraken lead Joe Pavelski 1-0 in the series I thought it was hilarious every time he got the puck just seemed to score it was funny. I, I really enjoyed seeing it. But no, you know, the Kraken were very disciplined, and they need to be disciplined in this series. They only took two penalties. And the Dallas Stars score nine power play goals. You got to play a dis- disciplined um, series. Now, I know, like I said, the Wild were missing some key pieces, which led to a majority of those goals. But you don't want to give this team um, chances on the power play. It's a very deep team. It's a very well-constructed team. Ottinger's going to find his groove, and I just assume that what happened in the first series, he's going to get better, and the Stars are going to get better as the series go on. You know, the Wild beat Dallas in double overtime in game one. The the Stars responded, and they won the series. Kind of have a little bit of deja vu here. Seattle wins game one in overtime, and I'm expecting Dallas to come out and respond and end up winning the series. I think Dallas is going to win the series in six games. All right, so this probably is going to be the one series we agree on then. I have the Dallas Stars also winning in six games. I do think the Seattle Kraken, they deserved to win yesterday. I don't think Joe Pavelski is going to be doing all the scoring for the Dallas Stars. It is funny. He scored four goals. He only had the puck on his stick for one of them. You know, he's the master of deflections. And the fourth goal was one of the prettiest goals I've ever seen. And so was the third goal. And people might think, oh, what a lucky tip. No. Joe Pavelski knows what he's doing. He knows how to pinpoint certain portions of the net with his tips. He practices it more than anybody in the history of the NHL. I heard he tips 100 pucks a day, and he practices like how to angle the stick. Uh, he's the greatest tipper in NHL history. I used to think it was Zach Parisi because Zach Parisi's probably scored 150, 200 
tipping goals as well. He's outstanding too, you know, back in the heyday. But, you know, Joe Pavelski, he's the best I've ever seen at it. And, yeah. man, really it's, it's so great. And he's going to keep doing it. There's no doubt. Um, I don't know if I've ever seen a player solidify their Hall of Fame case more in their late 30s. Because if you would have asked me in his early 30s, I probably would have said he comes up just short. But I'm actually starting to lean towards he probably does make the Hall of Fame based on his career statistics and what he's doing in the playoffs. Playoffs matter, uh, silver medal, all sorts of other great hockey achievements. So we'll see what happens. But I also have the stars in six. The series I'm covering for puckpros.com. Very excited. Make sure you go to puckpros.com and read all my stuff on it. I wrote an article previewing the series, and I wrote a second article previewing the matchup between Jack Eichel and Connor McDavid, the number one and number two overall pick in the 2015 NHL draft. They finally get to meet in the playoffs as the Vegas Golden Knights will take on the Edmonton Oilers. The Oilers, to me, are the favorite in the West. They have Connor McDavid. They have Leon Dreisaitl. We went over all the things great about the Oilers in the first round, and now they play against the Golden Knights, who are probably one of the more team-orientated teams in the entire playoffs left, in my opinion. They don't have a 100-point score, even though I think Jack Eichel will get back to that at some point. He's still working back from his back injury and whatnot that he had, crazy surgery. Um, The Vegas Golden Knights don't necessarily – pump out 100-point scores because of the way they play their systems and whatnot. But Jack Eichel is a very high-end player, and you know I'm expecting him to make an impact in this series. And then Mark Stone. Mark Stone is going to play a similar role to what Denault did for the um, Los Angeles Kings, except Mark Stone, he's one of the NHL scoring leaders in the playoffs so far, and he made his return just in time for the playoffs after a tough injury himself this year. Um, I think this is a very, very evenly matched series, and I'm very much looking forward to watching it. Um, It starts tonight. You know, now we're into the second round matchups that haven't started yet. But the Oilers against the Golden Knights, it's one of the best teams against the, you know, the best player. So it'll be interesting to see how that goes. Frank, what are your thoughts? I'm expecting a very explosive series. I really am. I expect there to be a lot of goals here. Um, I just, you know, when it comes to this uh, series, I just don't trust Stuart Skinner. I don't like the way he played against the Kings. And I think a lot of that was overshadowed by the fact that the Oilers were able to score as many goals as they did. But, you know, I, me personally, I like what I've seen more from Vegas's goaltending than I have from Oilers goaltending, even though Vegas's goaltending is inexperienced. I just like the way that the Knights have been playing in front of them. And, you know, that could be a major downfall. Now, the, the one plus side is that. Oilers kind of have owned the Vegas Golden Knights over the years. Over the past uh, 11 games, the Oilers are 7-2-2, so they know how to win against the Vegas Golden Knights. So this is not going to be new to them. You know, the historic power play year that the Oilers had may come into factor against uh, Vegas um, this season when the Oilers went on the power play. They were 55.6%. They scored on the power play. So they scored more than half their t- chances every time they went on the power play. They they were more likely to score a goal than not. They were five out of nine. That's 55.6%. They need to be disciplined to beat this Oilers team because we just we saw how well they were all year. We saw how well they were against the Kings. Um, but 
interestingly enough, the Vegas Golden Knights were the least penalized team in the NHL this season, and they're the second least penalized team in the playoffs. So that may work in uh, the Golden Knights' favor. And if the Oilers are going to want to win this series, they're going to need more contributions from their bottom six. They're going to have to chip in. They're going to need more than just McDavid and Dreisaitl and Nugget and Evander Kane. We're going to need some like some of these low-end bottom six players to get some chippy goals in there, be aggressive if they want to win this series. With all that being said, I'm taking the Vegas Golden Knights in six. The Oilers did do that against the Los Angeles Kings. They got more depth scoring in a playoff series than they have in 20-something years. Um, I want to see something really quick. I actually want to see the exact numbers there as the Oilers get ready to take on these um, Golden Knights. Yeah, Yamamoto had one. Kulak had one. Derek Ryan had one. Uh, Bukestad had two. Klim Kostin had three. I mean, they're getting goals from defense. Bouchard had three. Uh, or Bouchard had two. Um, yeah, I mean, they need just that to continue. And Leon Dreisaitl had seven. So, you know, it's just, yeah, they do need it to continue. And getting all that depth scoring, and along with the Dreisaitls having seven and McDavid having 10 points and stuff like that, like those are the things that could yeah. help the Oilers win a series. Um, the Oilers shit pumped the Golden Knights right at the end of the season there, the game Joey was at in Vegas. Um, that's kind of what I'm expecting in this series. I know the the Golden Knights, I don't think, I, I'm not going to call it a goaltending advantage because Skinner, he didn't play well in that series. That doesn't mean he hasn't played well all year long. I mean, dude was an all-star. And, you know, I think he could bounce back against this Golden Knights team if things settle down a little bit for them. They don't have the power play that um, Los Angeles had. And I think that could factor into some people's thoughts about, you know, what Stuart Skinner is able to do. Um, I like Brossois. He was Winnipeg's backup to Connor Hellebuck back in the day, and they chanted, he's a backup, bump, 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 bump. even though that backup beat you, bump, 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 bump. you're an idiot. Bump, 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 bump. Um, but I have the Oilers in six. That is my official prediction. I think Edmonton takes it. I think they're going to the conference finals for the second straight season. But I do think this will be of the most entertaining series in the entire second round. And one that is going to give it a run for its money is the fast, the speedy, the skilled series that is going to take place between the Carolina Hurricanes and the New Jersey Devils. Before you spew your shit, no faith looking ass two series in a row. You're not gonna like my shit. Yeah, that's fine. I didn't like it in the first round either until I did. Um, go ahead. <laughs> it's nothing personal here. I'm telling you how it is, right? Yeah, it yeah, yeah. It has nothing to do. I'm serious. You picked, you picked Joey's you, favorite team. They did. got shit on. You picked Joey's favorite team. They got shit on. You picked against my favorite team. Listen, you got shit on. Keep that train rolling, know. pal. Keep how, that train rolling. I don't you want know you picking how the devil. High up I am on Carolina. Yeah, you know yeah, that. yeah. Yeah, always have. Until the you next round, if the Devils play the Panthers, or I think the Panthers are going to keep this going. With that being said, Schmidt needs to play how he played, and that's going to be a huge factor in this series. We won't know what's going to happen until we see how Schmidt comes out in Game One. He needs to stay on top of his game um, because the Hurricanes beat a Vezina goaltender. 
and Sorokin. I mean, the way Sorokin played this year and the Panth- and the Carolina Hurricanes, despite their injuries and losing a couple of their top six, they were still able to win beating a goaltender like that. So we'll see how Schmidt performs and see if they'll be able to do it against him, right? The Devils' power play against the Rangers. Or no. Wait. Hold on. Let me think about this. What it wasn't that good, right? Their power play? It ebbed and flowed. It ebbed and flowed. It was bad early and it was good late. Uh, Yeah, it was it was up and down. There was no consistency. Shesterkin, right? But like I said, I think Freddie Anderson and Antti Ranta is the best duo left in the playoffs. So you you got a world of hurt no matter who you're playing. Anderson looked great in the first game he played. So and the Hurricanes went 17 for 18 on the penalty kill against the Islanders, which is, you know, so when the Devils get a penalty or a power play, it's not going to be on, uh, it's not going to be easy, right? And like I said, I think the experience is going to hurt them. Will the Devils veterans be able to do what they did in the first round and contribute some of the younger stars to get those goals? I don't know. There's too much up in the air for me. On paper, on paper, this series could go seven games. But Based on my prediction, I'm choosing the Hurricanes to win this in five games. But we'll see. We'll see. They proved me wrong. However, I did think it was going seven against the Rangers. But I just I just don't see that with the Carolina Hurricanes. I think this team is this team is too good despite their injuries. Yeah. I the Devils, they got what they needed from their veterans, and then I I don't think experience plays a factor for Heesher and Hughes. I've come to that conclusion because they were number one overall picks for a reason. They're just damn good at hockey. No matter what you call it, no matter what you say, they are just damn good at hockey. And guess what? Now they have experience. They won a grueling seven-game series against the New York Rangers if they lost game seven, you'd come in the next year saying, well, the Devils, they got that experience now. They played last year. Why can't that apply right now? Why can't you that get, apply right you now? You get experience over the years. Okay. They're, you just they're don't, getting you just don't win it. You just don't win a series and have experience. Eric Halla, Andre Palat, Eric Halla, Andre Palat, Dougie Hamilton, Ryan Graves, Jonas Siegenthaler, they're all there. And then the two top guns, Nico Heischer and Jack Hughes, are just too damn good at hockey for me to give a single shit about experience. For Brat, you can see the lack of experience. For Sharon Govich, you can see the lack of experience. Those guys are not Heischer and Hughes. It was proven in the first round. They were extremely productive. They outshot the Rangers to hell in all seven games. And I, I think Anderson and Ranta, maybe they are the best duo left, but guess what? That don't matter because only one of them is going to play each game. It's not like they combine their powers in each game. It's how who each individual person plays in the game. Um, I, I think the Devils firmly have playoff experience now. The, you know, Andre Palat showed what he can do. I'm I'm all in on Heesher and Hughes as a one-two punch for the next 10 years. And the fact that they're going to add some of the prospects that they have in the coming years makes it even scarier for other teams. But I think the Devils and Hurricanes, they match each other in terms of speed and tenacity, but the Devils have way more high-end skill, way more. Jack Hughes and Nico Heesher would be the best forward on Carolina right now. 
And, you know, I think that is going to be the difference in the series. If it's a tight checking, fast series where there's not lots of goals, I think the team that has the better chance to break through for that one extra goal each game is the Devils. And I have them winning the series in six games. We shall see, VP. We shall see. Hell yeah. On paper, it could be, it's closer than what I think, but I I just think that I I really think the experience is going to play a factor. We'll see. Maybe I'm wrong. So maybe it will. I I just, I think the Devils do have experience now. Like they, they, the way I think of experience, you gain that over years, like deep runs. Losing yeah, well, two years in a row in the first round, maybe. Yeah. And then you figure out how to, you know, we'll see. This team has proven that they're ahead of schedule all season long. They won a playoff series when no one said they would. Most people in our bracket challenge, the 20-something people in it, most of them picked the Rangers and took a fat L in that series. And I, I'm, I'm sorry, I just believe in this Devils team. I can't not believe yeah, in this Devils team after what I've seen. And and I don't know, p- people are undermining the losses of Pacioretty, Svechnikov, and Taravainen. That's 100 goals. That's 100 goals missing from your lineup. And they still and find ways to win. They find ways to win. The Devils, they played them well this season. I'm pretty sure they went 3-1-0. and Is it 3-1-0 no, or 2-2-0? 2-2. Hurricanes okay. won the first two, and then Devils won the last two. Yeah, I'm a little shocked they don't use Kachekov. I know Ranta and Anderson. Ranta played like 30-something games this year. That's another thing. He never played like four games in a row all season long until this series. So I'm actually I'm a little surprised that um, I'm a little surprised that they went to Anderson, but it, it worked. And that I just don't see the Devils playing in a 1-1 game. You know, like the Islanders are capable of. I just don't see that. They're the only them and the Leafs are the only teams that didn't get shut out this season, and that's I think because of a certain tenacity that they have. And uh, I'm sticking with it. I'm sticking with it. Devils and six. I picked six instead of seven because six would be the home game. Even though, let's talk about this really quick. We're off the Devils. We know I think they're going to win. We know that you think they're going to get shit pumped. Um. Home ice advantage no longer matters in the NHL. And older folks who lived and died by that mantra aren't going to want to hear this from me. Just like people don't want to hear that Kane and Panarin don't have chemistry anymore. They actually are so bad together now. But home ice advantage is not a thing anymore. It's more fun to play at home, I'm sure. You got people cheering for you. But there have been 33 road wins. Or 34 now with Seattle. 34 road wins in the Stanley Cup playoffs so far. There were 33 all of last year. And we're not even halfway through the second round. And, you know, the second round just started. So I just, I think with social media and teams know how to play in each other's buildings now. And, you know, there's more tape than ever. There's road fans, I think, travel more than ever now. I I just, I don't think... I don't think home ice matters as much as it used to, but that is why I chose six instead of seven for that series, just because I kind of hope they win it on home ice. It's more fun that way. But I don't know, man. It, it's it's interesting to me, some of these statistics that are coming out of home versus road, though. And someone asked, 
Someone asked Bucci about it on it was Scott Van Pelt on Sports Center yesterday. And Bucci said, Yeah, home ice advantage isn't a thing anymore. It, it's more like everybody knows how to play hockey. And he spoke about kids from juniors on are playing away from home. They go play in Switzerland. Austin Matthews played all his junior hockey for the development program, which is so far from Arizona. And then he goes and plays in his draft year for Zurich in Switzerland. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you got guys playing road games and everybody's got a cell phone and everybody feels like they're at home no matter what. Like, it's just a different time. And home ice advantage means diddly squat so far in these playoffs. And I honestly think that's going to continue, starting with a big win tonight for the team that will be in white in – Carolina. Uh, I'm totally kidding. Um, who are your three early Con Smythe trophy favorites? Yeah. There are probably people who roll their eyes at thinking, but guess what? What happens in the first round will equate into who wins. So obviously, I'm going to go with McDavid. Three goals, seven assists. The Oilers get past the Knights, you know, make a run. He's probably. I mean, you look what he did last year. He's probably going to make some some magic happen in these next this next round or the conference finals or the Stanley Cup, whatever may happen with them. Um, if he if he's only going to win the Conn Smythe is if he gets to the cup and they win the cup, right? Because if he didn't win it last year through this production for the first whatever two rounds, three rounds, it's just not going to happen unless you win the cup. The so, Stanley Cup. The Conn Smythe Trophy hasn't gone to the Stanley Cup runner-up since 2003 when the Devils won the Cup, but Gene Sebastian Jagir of the Dallas Stars won the Conn Smythe Trophy. So if the Oilers got there and he won the Cup, there's no doubt. He's already going to win the Hart Trophy. He's gonna he's been dynamic so far. So at that point, who knows how many points he got. So he's won. And he started slow. He could easily have 15 points. Right. So second, my second pick is Austin Matthews. Had a breakout series. You beat the uh, Tampa Bay Lightning. If they make it to the cup and did something and won the cup, I mean, he's got five goals already and five assists. He's gonna. He's hungry this year. It seems like he's gonna be another one who would be a Conn Smythe uh, favorite, especially if they were to win the cup. But I think my favorite to win it because I truly believe that this team could get there and does have the capability of winning and has shown how electric was the best player in the first round and is the best player in the playoffs so far is Rupe Hintz. If the Dallas Stars get to the cup and win the cup, it will be no doubt Rupe Hintz, who leads the playoffs right now in points with five goals and seven assists. He is what? He's second. He's second? Yeah. Who passed him? Maddie Kachuk. Did he really? He has 14. I didn't know that. I didn't know that. I thought Hintz. I mean, he get it's still at the moot point. Hintz is a great answer. Did he get? He got two yesterday. Then. Yeah. Oh, okay. See, I wasn't. I wasn't thinking about that because I know he was leading or tied or at least after the first round. So, but no, Hintz is definitely going to be the Conn Smythe winner if the Dallas Stars were to win the cup. There's nobody on that team right now that could really contend for it. Jason Robertson, great, but he's not doing what Rupe Hintz is doing. Joe Pavelski had four goals, but he's not going to keep that up. So if the Dallas Stars win it, and it's kind of like an underrated pick here, I would say Rupe Hintz is one of my early Conn Smythe favorites. I like your list. I agree with McDavid. I think Dreisaitl could give him a run for his money on his own team. Um, so they're kind of like tied for one. You know, they're like a package. Like one of them would win if Edmonton wins, I think. Um, 
And Evgeny Malkin won the Smythe Trophy in Pittsburgh's first cup. So there won't be a loyal. There wasn't a loyalty. Sidney Crosby won back to back ones later, but he deserved it. If Drysaddle deserves it more than McDavid, they will have no problem giving it to him. Um, I actually think there is a Dallas star that has a chance to win the Smythe Trophy, if not for Rupe Hints. I'm not saying Rupe Hints is an outstanding. I, think pick. I know who you're going to say. He could absolutely win it. But outside of one tough game yesterday, Jake uh, one tough period yeah. yesterday, Jake Ottinger yeah. has been outstanding. He's got a he had a bad first period yesterday. Still has a two point three goals against average and a nine twenty one save percentage or whatever it is. I mean, just absolutely outstanding statistics. He was dominant in the first round against the Minnesota Wild. So, and I don't expect any more four goal periods from Team USA's best goalie. So I think he is absolutely going to be in the conversation. And then I don't know if they're going to get to the final, but I think Maddie Kachuk, he would be the guy for the Florida Panthers. He'd be an um, mind. I yeah, just don't think he's going to get to the cup. Yeah, same for me. And that's why I'm going to say, as my number three, Akira Schmid. He's my also other honorable mention as well. If the Devils get to the cup, I mean, and listen, Jack Hughes, Nico Heischer, they could absolutely have a seven-point series upcoming here and really get themselves into the conversation as well. wouldn't even slightly shock me if they have seven points in a four-game sweep. I mean, (laughs) stuff like that, crazier things have happened. I can't. It's hard for me to look at the number of points because you could play less games, but I think by the time you get to the cup, all the point leaders are from the two teams that made it, except for last year when nobody caught McDavid. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, they're never going to give the Conn Smythe to a conference final no. loser. Never. Because no. if they didn't last year, and if they didn't in 2017, I want to say it was, when Eric Carlson. It's not going to happen. Eric Carlson almost deserved it just as much as Crosby that year, and he lost to Crosby in the conference finals. He didn't even make it to the cup, and his name was in the conversation. So I don't think it's going to happen either. I'll actually be stunned if a loser of the cup even ever gets it again. It just doesn't seem. It's not how it is nowadays. Yeah, and you know what? There was no social media in 2003 when they gave it to Jagir, and I do think backlash has a lot to do with people's decision makings these days. Right or wrong, that's the way it is. So those are the guys that come to mind for me. And then one thing I also wanted to touch on before we get to period three, um, Jack Hughes. I'm blanking on the other two. Hold on. Cause like, why would I care? Why would I care about anybody else? Because they don't have a chance at this award in particular. Um, and yes, I do honestly believe he will win it, but, um, the Lady Bing Trophy will go to one of. Give me a second. I know it's Jack Hughes. Why are they not showing it, dude? Lady Bing will go to one of Jack Hughes, Anjay Kopitar, or Braden Point. You have a problem with any of those three? Not really. Jack Hughes took three minor penalties this season for a total of six penalty minutes. Kopitar took two minor penalties for a total of four penalty minutes. And Braden Point took – Braden Point must have had a five-minute major, which I don't even get how you can have one five-minute major and be nominated. But, oh, he prob- he took one minor penalty, that means, though, because he's got seven penalty minutes on the season. Um, So I, I think Jack Hughes has an a landslide. He – 
He has the most points of any of these three. He's got the second most goals. Braden Point at 51 goals. Um, but yeah, I think Jack Hughes takes the Lady Bing to you. Yeah, most likely should. And then the um, Selkie Trophy will go to one of Patrice Bergeron, Nico Heischer, or um, Mitchell Marner. Got any thoughts on that? I think Bergeron gets it again. Like sometimes I feel like they just eventually like you had your time to shine. Yeah, right? and he gets he already held, he holds the record. Like they're not going to just keep pumping him. Yeah, he holds the record, and he's been nominated for eleven straight years. People think he's like an automatic to win every year. He's not. Barkov has won. Kopitar has won. Um, Taves has won. Bergeron was nominated for all those years. I think Nico Heischer has a chance to win. Yeah, it could be. I also think Bergeron has a chance too. I don't think he's going to though. I don't know. I think he's got a chance. He's got a chance every year, like you said. But I just don't think he's going to win it this year. Yeah, and it's been a long time since a winger has won it. So seeing Marner even nominated is a little bit surprising. Um, you know, when I think of defensive-minded wingers, Kopitar, or not Kopitar, Mark Stone, Marion Hossa, Tomas yeah. Hurdle, th- those are some of the best two-way wingers we've seen. Uh, but Marner, he's outstanding defensively. There's no doubt about it. I'm not even saying he doesn't deserve it. I just think he probably comes in third. I think one of Isher or Bergeron are going to win it. If they give it to Bergeron, it wouldn't surprise me just because he does have really good outlying or underlying numbers, best face-off percentage in the league. Um, he's just got significant, and I know this shouldn't matter, but I feel like it does. He's got way less points than Heischer. Heischer had 80 points while doing all this defensive stuff. And I don't know. I, I think Nico has a chance to win it. If the Devils sweep these two awards, I would be 0% surprised. I don't think it's a shoe-in for Bergey. No. do You don't think he could, though? Well, yeah, he could, but I, I'm i not picking him. I think it could be Heischer. Hell yeah, I agree. So, that's it for that. Um, That's hockey, baby. You know, we, we, we went through each round extensively. We previewed each round extensively. Um, I don't care about any of our other picks. I just want the Devils to win. <laughs> And it starts tonight with starts tonight. Carolina Hurricanes. It should be very fun. Make sure you tune into Game Day Live. You could find it on my Twitter. I'll share it, of course. Um, where me, Sam Wu, and Shorts Guy will go over everything that happened um, in Game Seven and preview the upcoming series against the Carolina Hurricanes. We had Bryce Salvador. Frank, did you see that? Uh, maybe. I, I had so. Bri- we had Bryce Salvador join the show, former Devils captain, current yeah, MSP studio so. analysis. Really, really cool. Better. Really, really fun to meet him and talk a little puck with him. I, my question I actually asked him was about Heischer and like living up to the moment as a captain in a game seven, and boy, did they ever. So make sure you tune in for that. Frank, we are going to hop off hockey for just a little bit and bring the the note a little more somber as we talk about my kings in period number three welcome to period three frank what the h happened to the team i've been a diehard fan of for 20 years the sacramento kings but yeah blown out in game seven it's hard to fade curry in game seven right the rain one of the best game seven performances in the history of the nba champions and seth curry it's just I, Steph. I, I did not the, Steph Curry, yeah. I don't know why I said Seth. He has a brother, Seth. 
Oh, I know. Doesn't uh, he play for? Was it the Pacers? No, no, no. He was on. Uh, he was on the Sixers, and then he went somewhere. Unless he's still on the Sixers, I don't know. He's somewhere. But yeah, there. Steph Curry. You can't fade this man in a game seven when you're back. Like this is clutch time. This is what he lives for. And he had a dominating performance. The Kings are a young team. They're not ready to win. Back to the experience again. The Kings don't have experience. They're never in the postseason. So, I mean, it's a heartbreaker. You know, they had their chance. They won the first two games at home, and then everything went downhill. They couldn't win game five at home. Warriors had a chance to close it out in game six on their home court. They couldn't win. And then you go back home for game seven. you, You just couldn't. You couldn't pull the trigger and it sucks but you know the Warriors are just too good now they find themselves playing against the Los Angeles Lakers which the Warriors dropped game one yesterday at home to the Lakers LeBron man he's on a different level right now I mean the way they're playing it's like they're hungry it's like the stars shine in the postseason 100% and I wrote lol Lakers I don't know if you took that as me making fun of them or not it wasn't intended to be making fun of them it was intended to be like lol the Lakers are going to piss off a bunch of people because they're probably going to roll all the way to the finals if they get through the frick if they beat the Warriors I have no reason to think they can't beat anybody and I know that some of the other teams who who's left in the east is it the the no the Grizzlies were just taken out by the or in the west I mean who the else West, is left in the, the West? Who's the other matchup? The Nuggets. Nuggets and the Suns. Okay, and p- most people would probably pick the winner of that series to beat the Lakers or the Warriors, right? So, like, probably. But you know, with the Lakers, with LeBron, and it didn't Anthony Davis have a real good game yesterday? He had over like, twenty rebounds. Yeah, so like That's a series insane. like that. I don't know, man. It's hard to pick against the, the Lakers. And the Nets. Thanks, Foster. Thank you, Foster. Um, Foster doing his basketball research for us. He's he's uh he's a good guy. Yeah. yeah well, it's uh on other NBA news, Joel Embiid won the MVP. He is he the did. MVP. He finished with thirty three point one points per game and fifty four point eight percent shooting. So every time that man shoots the ball, there's a better chance it goes in than not. Absolutely dominating performance from Embiid. I think we talked about, you asked me earlier who I thought was going to win, and I mentioned Embiid just because of how dominant he was. He was the only player to average more than 33 points this year. So, yeah, I mean, he deserves it, and there's not much more to say on that. Scott Van Pelt made a point yesterday. He said that Donkic doesn't want to win the MVP ever again because he won it back-to-back years but got ousted in the playoffs early. I mean, uh, Jokic? Jokic, I mean, sorry. What did I say? Um, you said Donkic. Oh, that's a player though, right? Yeah, Luka Donkic for the yeah, Mavericks. That's what I thought. Okay, Jokic said he doesn't want to win it at big basketball guy. Um, <laughs> he said he doesn't want to win it ever again, and because he would win it and then get clowned for getting bounced in the first round. Um, but then Embiid wins it, and then his team in a game without him wins a big game. So maybe Donkic should just – no, not Donkic. Maybe Jokic should just shut up and go yeah. play basketball. No, I, I like hate when Jokic people say that. Just shut up and go play basketball. Nobody cares about your – I hate when people say that. Shut up. We care about everyone's opinion. Which Draymond Green, man, he gets a technical team to every game. He needs to settle down. He's got some anger problems. He's always getting teed up. Happened again yesterday. 
I mean, some of the stuff he does is funny because he's like mocking the ref, and it's like, but I mean, you're gonna cost your team. He's the guy who stepped on Sabonis's chest. You remember that? Yeah. Oh yeah. So, gotta settle down a little bit. You're giving away free throws. Absolutely. Well, um, what was I? Oh, the Knicks and the six or no, the Celtics and the Sixers though. Are the Celtics in trouble? Like, what is going on? I don't know. You know, the Bucks lose. The Bucks lost number one seed in the playoffs in the first round, and the Bruins lost the number one playoffs, uh, number one team in the playoffs in the first round. Isn't that crazy? Like, who would have? Yeah, that that, that honestly is taking, wild. Imagine taking like the Panthers to win the series and putting them with the Heat to beat the Bucks. Unbelievable. That's yeah, just damn. Unbelievable. And. Now it seems like the Celtics are on the verge of, you know, choking. I mean, it's only one game. I still think advantage Celtics, but you never know. I mean, the Sixers won without Embiid. Yeah, so I don't absolutely. Know. I have no idea. Um, what do you got going on in MLB? I see you're wearing your Mariners hat. <laughs> they finally won yesterday. They've, they've been pissing me off. Robbie Ray out for the year. Robbie Announced Ray right after our last show. Like. It was like Wednesday of last week at like four fifty. It's it's terrible. VP it really is. That's good. That that hurts him a ton. But in in lighter news, um, Bryce Harper made a historic return after Tommy John, the quickest ever to do it, hundred sixty days. That's that's truly uh, remarkable. I I think it also helps that he's not a pitcher. That's I feel like, what I'm and thinking. I feel like pitchers it takes a little bit longer for pitchers to return from something like that but nonetheless still 160 days is 160 days i mean i don't really remember the type of game he had yesterday i was watching a little bit because i wanted to see his return and then i, I don't think no. he did anything no he didn't way. do anything no. yeah but he didn't, you know, he didn't return from injury like joe pavelski did no he didn't hit four home runs but no um and then that there was the yeah, it probably is. Yeah. I would say it probably is. Maybe three home runs. Uh, we see three. What do you think we see more? Three home run game or four goal game? Three home run game is tough. Yeah, 100%. I would say a three. That That's fair. A three run because you only get so many opportunities in baseball to come up to Yeah, bat. that's true. I would say that a three true. home run game is equivalent to a four. I will have the answer to that by our next show. What there's been more of in the last ten years for goal now, games. But now, what's the com- equivalent of a hat trick? Not a two run. Not a two home run. Game. Yeah. See, that's where I'm like, I'm thinking like a four home run game is like three goals and two assists. Or no, I don't even know. That's fair. It's fun to think about. I, it is fun to think about. Like I remember that full house game that Chris Bryant had the three home runs and two doubles. Mm-hmm. And people were going absolutely banana lands about that, but I don't, I don't know. know. It's fun to think about. I want to. I, wanna I will like think about it in depth. Yeah, and I will do research with numbers for our next show on that. Do it. But there was something that I forgot. So now that the MLB season's been going on for a month, they—I don't know who was it, but somebody part of ESPN was in interviewing players and managers uh, on what they think about some of the new rules. So I wrote down some of the things that I thought were interesting that we could talk about. Um, so some of the new rules that the MLB players love 
the most consensus that I saw. And if you want to see what people said, go on ESPN, the app, and it'll it'll show up in like the recent news. But players and the managers have loved the shorter games. They've loved at the time, and everybody has their reasons. I think Mark Canna's reason was like where he lived or whatever, the garage that he kept his car in or something closed at midnight. So he always had would have to rush back and, and like call his wife and kids to make sure that he could get something out of the garage or the car out of the garage or something like that. So like everybody had their different reasons on why they like the shorter games. Um, Kevin Cash said something about it too. So if you're interested in that, um, go read that on ESPN. But what, what do you think? What is What do you like from the new rules? So far. I love oh I love the pitch clock. I I love it. <laughs> it's uh, people don't want to hear it. it's so great. The games are a tad bit shorter it makes it easier to do my write-ups it makes it easier to cover the game it makes it easier to watch the game. There's more action, there's more stolen bases, there's more runs, there's more balls in play. It, I just I think it's way better. And so, I've enjoyed baseball so much outside of the fact that my favorite team has stunk up the joint for the entire month of April, uh, undefeated in May. But, you know, I, I, I've, I'm all in. I love it. So then I was reading some of the things that the players hated the most. And there were two things that I saw that I came to the consensus, consensus that what I thought, like what they were suggesting that needed to be changed with these new rules. And one of them, was uh, there? They some players feel there need to be extra time on the pitch clock, even if it's just a couple seconds, because people are complaining like, oh, they're gassed when they come up to the plate, and like, you know, it's just pitch after pitch after pitch. They have no time to take their breath. So some people are like saying, instead of what is it, fifteen seconds when no one's on? Is that what mm-hmm. it is? Yeah. Somebody said even making it like twenty seconds when nobody's on base, and fifteen seconds when there is somebody on base just so like players have a chance to catch their breath. And then somebody said even 17 seconds, just extending it a little bit to like help the players out because I mean, they're kind of getting gassed. They're not used to this like fast pitch um, momentum pace, whatever you want to call it. And the other thing is a lot of people, and I know Blake Snell was very vocal on this. He doesn't like that. You can only throw over twice. Like, cause then you use both players are getting big leads. Like it's almost a guarantee steal then. And they're saying like that kind of ruins the game. What's your take? You can think, throw it. I know you can throw, throw it a third it. time. But I know you got to get them out. But the guy's going to have a big lead on purpose, hoping you throw it over there, and he's you're probably not going to get him. There's got to be like that rule needs to be changed a little bit. I think there's got to be something we can meet in the middle and like agree on because to me it's stupid. If the lead is preposterously big, you should be able to get him out. That's my take. I wholeheartedly believe that too. Pitchers don't have the balls to throw over the third time, though. That's their problem. I don't. I don't know. Something's gonna. It. It will change a little bit. We will see a tweak. I think coming up. I mean, the bases are bigger. It's easier to steal. I mean, it's just so. It's so much easier for the runners. So I get why pitchers are mad about it because it's gonna ultimately hurt them, their ERA, their stats, and I think there just needs to be some sort of. Little tidbit rule change in there, just a little bit. Like Maybe if you they're... throw over there, it's a ball and not a balk. It's like not a base. You know what I mean? If you throw over that... there a third time and you don't get them, all right, it's a ball instead of a. I can get down with a, a tweak or something like that, but I if love. If just you have tweak. the balls enough to take a big lead like that and you're going, 
you better be so sure that the pitcher is not going to throw it over. I do like it. I like the premises of the rule. I'm okay with a couple tweaks, though. There's no doubt. I know. I like the premise of the rule, but it needs to be tweaked. It shouldn't be an automatic base. I like a ball. Yeah, I like a ball. Like a ball. Like, all right. Like, you, you don't want to get behind in the counts if you want to throw over there and, you know, try to press yeah. your luck a little bit. Now you might be getting behind in the count. So it should be interesting. I like that. And that I didn't hear that for anybody. That's just me thinking about it. So if it happens, I want full credit in the future. Um, I think they should make it a ball instead of a full, a full base, man. Come on. That's, that's tough. a little much. That's tough. I mean, you're putting a runner in a scoring position. Like that's why nobody's going to try and throw over there. I, I just think, I don't know. I don't know. That's fair. What movies or TV you watching this weekend? Finish clone wars season four. Nice. Started season five. Season five has been my favorite season so far. The storytelling, in-depth, fantastic. The arcs have been phenomenal. Um, I know you're watching it. I don't know how what arcs you've seen. You said you skipped around, so I don't know if you've seen any in season five. But the young Jedi arc in season five, phenomenal. My favorite arc of the whole series, I think, so far. Absolutely insane. Where are you uh, in there? Have you watched any from season five? No, like I've, yeah, I have. I've skipped around though. I'm late in season one of like watching it from beginning to end though. Okay. We started House of Dragons. Nice. It, it's pretty good. It's not Game of Thrones, obviously. I wasn't expecting it to be like that. Mm-hmm. I'm not it could disappointed. Be, though. It could be. I'm not disappointed with it. Like, I forgot who was it? Uh, somebody came into the chat. Was it Travis? Yeah, it might it might have been. He was a little I don't want to cast aspersions though. What do you mean? Like accuse him if it wasn't him. No, I don't know, but it was somebody in our chat who said, I think it was, but and if it's not you, Travis, let me know if you're still here. But it's not Game of Thrones good, but it's good. I'm not disappointed with what I've seen so far. I've only watched two episodes, but and then I hope to hope to see Guardians. We're gonna talk about Guardians three. Yep, it's gonna absolutely. be a good show. It's gonna be a good show. It's gonna be a very good movie, very emotional movie. And I would love to give our feedback on it. Absolutely. Like a synopsis when we see it. So hundred percent. That That's all I got for you, VP. I don't know. Yep. I'm pro tomorrow's Star Wars Day, so I'm very much looking forward to that. I'll be reading my Star Wars books that I'm reading. It's like a story of rebels that oh. will get me ready for Ahsoka. That's kind of the point of that. But um, that's that's what I'm mostly going to be doing as far as like entertainment over the weekend. I leave for Wisconsin tomorrow, so you know, going to be watching the Devils, of course, and baseball and the White Sox, and getting all ready for that. But that's kind of what I got going on. Um, that's what I'll be watching this weekend. Cool. So, hell yeah, Frank, it's time. We're going to make all the people watching this show a little bit of money. I'm actually excited. I kind of forget what your picks were last year I'm a, or last week. I'm excited bad. to see how that went. Oh, bad. Bad. Oh, I no. hope they faded me last week. Tough. We it will get tough. to that in America's favorite podcast segment of the week. Breaking bets. <laughs> Frank, where's my money, bitch? Take it away. Hopefully fading me from last week. Last week was the worst time ever in the history of breaking bets. Don't say 0-4. We went 0-5. for 
Oh, for fuck. We did under 50? 50% VP. Oh. It was bad. We're at 49%. It was rough. It was very, it was. But in celebration of Star Wars Day, and as a young, wise Yoda once said, failure is the best teacher. And it is because we're going to use our failure from last week, tweak a few things, and be on track for this week and get above 50%. So here we go. First peak, first pick is for you, VP. Uh, I dedicate this pick for you. Twins are at the White Sox. I'm taking the White Sox money line, minus 129. Like the way the White Sox have been playing. They won two in a row. They beat the Rays. They beat the Twins. They had that crazy comeback in the bottom of the ninth against the Rays. This Seven is a, runs. This is an opportunity for Cease, who has been really not that good this year, to get his shit together at home against the Twins when they're finally playing decent baseball. I love the price, minus 129. White Sox, like I said, won two in a row. And last time Varlin pitched his first game of the season, he only pitched once this year, six innings, against the Yankees, gave up three home runs. I think this is an opportunity for the White Sox to continue playing their best baseball of the year so far, continue that going at home with your ace on the mound, or supposedly being ace, who's not acting as an ace. This is a chance for him to really turn things around. I like the White Sox money line, minus 129. Next, the NHL, Oilers, Golden Knights. Taking this pick simply on value, saw that the Golden Knights were plus 100 at home. Going to go with it. Don't trust the goaltending from Skinner. Maybe you're not going to go with any picks in this game. Maybe you're going to go with an over and under because you think there's going to be a lot of goals, whatnot. I just like the value of taking the Knights at home at plus 100 because it really could go either way. So I'm going to go with the Knights here. So take the plus 100 Golden Knights at home. If you want to fade me, do that. It would have worked for you last week. You would have swept the board. Um, but, yeah, it's up to you. I just simply love the value, and I don't like the way Skinner's been playing. So we'll see how it goes. We'll make adjustments next week, say, depending on how these series go. But, yeah, for the, for right now, Golden Knights money line plus 100, which leads me to my final pick in the NBA. 76ers are at the Boston Celtics. The MVP, the 2023 MVP, will be returning tonight, or he's so is supposed to. They won game one as 10-point underdogs without him. This is a good team, and I think taking the Sixers plus 8.5 might be your best bet. They won without him as 10-point underdogs. Now you get them back. I mean, the Sixers team had over 50 wins. They're good for a reason. So I, I think they could – to me, 8.5 is way too much, too many points to give away the Sixers. I mean, the Celtics are good, but I just don't expect them to blow them out, especially with Embiid back. Now, this might be a trap. This might be a bookie trap, and a lot of people might have the same thought as me, like, oh, yeah, I'm going to jump on because they just won last game, so they might keep it close again. I mean, the Boston Celtics could very well blow out the Sixers just when you're getting the reigning MVP back in your lineup, and you're still going to get eight and a half points. I will gladly take them and take my chances and see what happens. The odds on that is minus 121. Let's hope we sweep the board and go three for three, and let's get back above 50%. Good way it would be to start May. There you go. We're all rooting for you. Hopefully you're able to not have a stinky record. Thank you. Ooh. Thank you for picking the Sox. I'm their favorites? Yeah, because I think, I think this is an opportunity for them to get back on track here. I think everybody realizes that. If and they, they find a way favorites. They they just started move the lines moving for them to be favorites. So, oh, okay. 
They're now well, favorites. They're favorites now, yeah. But they weren't in, to open the line yesterday. In a bizarre world where they sweep the Twins, they would only be like six games out of first. Anything's possible. I mean, Foster says I'm glad I had to buy a laptop in a car. (laughs) 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 Oh, he never had to take. (laughs) That's funny. That's funny. That's well. Now he's now Foster is going to be scared to. I know. Listen to you at any point, though. He's going to be like Frankie went oh for five. I listened to that asshole. If it makes you feel any better, Foster, that's never happened before. So the odds of it happening again, right? Because I never give out five picks as it is. So. And you were well over 50% before that debacle. Like, if I win one of the five, I'm over 50%. It's just, I can't believe I went 0 for 5. That's yeah. unbelievable. That is unbelievable. But Well, maybe that's the way the cookie crumbles. crumbles. So. Absolutely. Well, Frank, it's been an outstanding show. Yeah. Um, the playoffs have been unbelievable. I've loved every second of it. The Devils got a big Game 7 win over the New York Rangers, so obviously you know I'm in a good spot. Um, Hopefully that's able to continue. Um, I think people enjoy the show more from me if I'm talking about the Devils going off about them, no? Or would you rather see me sad and angry and upset? I'm I'm sure there are some weirdos that would prefer the latter, but... You know, make sure you're reading all the stuff. Chicago sports, New Jersey Devils, all for fan-sided. Read Frankie's shit for apptrigger.com. Read all of his girlfriend G's Dallas Stars coverage for Blackout Dallas. Obviously, that's an amazing site cover in the Dallas Stars. Um, I'm doing the Oilers versus the Golden Knights in round number two. That's my job for puckpros.com. And, of course, doing the Devils for Pucks and Pitchforks and the Let's Go Devils podcast network. Um, doing my typical White Sox for Southside Showdown, Bears and Blackhawks for the Windy City, and I'm missing one. Oh, the Jacksonville Jaguars for Black and Teal. So, and then of course Frankie stuff, App Trigger, all part of the fan sided network. All the latest and greatest on what's going on in the world of video games. Frank, when does the Zelda game come out? Um, I believe next month. I don't know the exact date, but it's either the end of this month or early next month. I'm pretty sure it's June though. Are you getting it? You busting out the switch? Is that coming on the trip? It should. Yes, hundred percent. I think I'll bring it if I brought mine too, and then we got two up there. Yeah, and I'll have Zelda for the ride. Very much looking forward to it. Can't wait. Um, it's probably going to be a day wonder for me. I haven't gone to a video game store and bought a video game on the day it came out in a long time. I might make the splurge and get the new Zelda. What is it called? Tears of what? Tears uh, of the Tears Kingdom. Of the Kingdom. Yeah, hell yeah. I'm pumped. Let's so see. it comes out on um let's see. Oh shit. May twelfth? Oh. That's in like oh. a week. Yeah. There you go. Wow. Uh, that's next May Friday, 12th. isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, very cool. Very, very cool. I went to Best Buy yesterday and there were signs for it all over the place, including the main entrance. Yeah, can't wait. So very much looking forward to that. Frank, I can't thank you enough for participating in today's show. Everybody in the chat, um, thank you for listening as always. If you're listening on Apple or Spotify, thank you very much as well. And we will see you tomorrow if you're watching this live on Thursday for Crosstown Crosstalk where we'll do some Bears, we'll do some Cubs, we'll do some White Sox. Very much looking forward to that. If you want, even if you're not a fan of the team but you like me, maybe you do. 
uh, the Let's Go Devils podcast game day live before game one of the second round against the Carolina Hurricanes tonight and every game the rest of the series as well. Um, can't wait, obviously. And yeah, and then Monday I'll be back on South Burbs Hitman because there's no Devils game. I missed last week's episode for game seven, but you could go back and listen to Zim and Joe interview Lamont Pope from the Chicago Tribune covering White Sox. So go do that. Listen to all the great shows here on the Barroom Network post-draft. Outstanding stuff. And as always, Frank, really quick, you got anything else to say? Thank you for listening. As always, thank you for listening.